0: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
2: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: corner to Kairou, centered, they shoot, they score! Pavlovich Mucznewicz! And another Picasso of a goal by this group. one nothing Blues on the power play. Backhanded towards the goal, they score! Robert Thomas deflects it in on a desperate throw to the net by Tarasenko! And the Blues have tied the game at 2. 2.4 seconds to go in the second period. The streak alive for Robert Thomas. They get it. Center. They shoot. They score. Blues never touch the puck in overtime. McAvoy with the game winner. And the nine-game win streak for the Blues comes to an end tonight at Enterprise Center.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon. Kylie. That's what it sounded like right here in your home for the blues. Last night As the blues. Alex extend their point streak. It's a franchise record now that they have tied the 12 game streak of four or more goals, though. That is over the nine game winning streak. That has also come to an end. A tough one last night, specifically in the second period against Boston. What did you see from the blues in that loss last night? Alex, what stood out to you?
4: The second period issues popped up for the Blues that we've seen in the past. Turnovers hurt the team, inability to get the puck out of their zone, and just letting guys park themselves in front of the net. But it was one bad period. One bad period defined the outcome of that game last night. I thought the first period, the Blues did exactly what they needed to do. They came out physical and they came out fast, created some opportunities, and they got the saves when they absolutely needed them to. Third period, it was a very. It was a very schematic period for the Blues in Boston as they were kind of feeling each other out. A couple of odd man rushes, but Boston eliminated the neutral zone. So the Blues didn't have that speed, but the Blues played a physical brand of hockey and so did Boston. I I thought one period to find the outcome of that game, but the part that I liked the most about it was that they righted the ship quickly because we've seen in the past where one bad period turns into another bad period and then a bad game and then you start going down a a a wrong path. Blues got away from their game in the second. They got back to it in the third, which forced overtime. And I mean, three on three overtime is a crapshoot. You don't play three on three overtime in the playoffs. You continue to play five on five. So I thought Thank it was odd. I, yeah. I thought it was a really good game for the blues with the exception of one bad period.
5: Yeah, I, I thought the blues played really well, except for that second period. And I thought things kind of started to turn in favor of the Bruins with around five minutes left in that first period, too. I felt like heading into the second period, Boston had a little bit of momentum, and then they, like Alex said, the second period was all Boston, but the Blues were able to get back to their game, and I, I think that goal that was late in, was it the second period where Vlade just throws it towards the net there and it gets tipped in? I thought that really gave the Blues some momentum, and I thought the third period, they they got, as Alex said, they got back to their game. You could tell that they, they got very frustrated, though, in that game. I know broke could stick on the bench at least once. Uh, they They just could not get anything going they couldn't get i think there was zero was a zero rush attempts in the second period first two oh first two sorry they couldn't get the they couldn't get the rush attempts going and they seemed frustrated by playing the dump and chase game and honestly it was a little frustrating to watch because you couldn't see the high-powered offense get going for the blues and that's kind of the game plan for teams now now that you've seen the boston bruins do it blues are probably going to run into that a lot in the stanley cup playoffs in
1: the nba you'll get to a playoff series and there will be a specific game plan for teams going into a series. Like if you're going up against a team that really likes to get out in transition, Tanner, you've seen this with the Pacers before where they, they have frustrated teams because of it. They will just say, you're not beating us in transition. We're not going to go after the offensive boards. We're going to be sprinting back defensively. The moment that that ball goes up. And sometimes that could really frustrate a team that that's the way they play. The Blues have become that team that wins in transition. They are a rush team now. Anybody that we've talked to over the last month or two, that's what they'll tell us nationally as well. I wanted to find out what the Blues do when somebody clogs the neutral zone the way that the Bruins did last night. And it looked ugly for about 15 minutes there in that second period. They got really blown up in a lot of ways. They lost that game in the second period as a result. I loved the way they responded absolutely loved seeing the fact that they were able to get back to their game. And it didn't take them the entirety of that game to be able to figure it out. They adjusted on the fly. They realized, okay, this is the way we're being played. We've got to adjust now. It's got to happen with some urgency. They, they got that goal at the end of the second, they go into the third. I thought they played really well in the, th- the third period. Honestly, it, it didn't end up resulting in them getting the win, but I thought they played well. And then you go over to overtime, you take your chance in a three-on-three. Sometimes you end up losing that more often than not. The Blues have ended up losing that in in the three-on-three overtime. I loved that game, man. That was playoff hockey. Whoever the Blues play in the postseason, whether it starts with the Wild and then from there, whatever, that is going to be their game plan. You saw the blueprint to be able to slow down the St. Louis Blues. Will it work as well as it did last night for the Bruins? I don't think so. Not every time. But there are going to be some teams, especially the Wild, that try to use that as the blueprint for their playoff game plan. And I love seeing that the Blues were able to respond the way that they did.
4: Yeah. And if you go back and look at that game that the Blues played against Minnesota, I want to see what the hits were. But I believe the Blues were out hit by Minnesota in that game. But they were out hit by Boston last night, 22 to 20. Yeah, the Blues were out hit 29 to 22. So this was a one-off, in my opinion, of another team playing the physical brand of hockey and the Blues not being able to get over the frustrations that come with it. T-Bone's right. Perron was breaking a stick. Ryan O'Reilly was breaking a stick. Tory Krug was out there. Like, Boston got underneath the Blues' skin. But if you really think about it big picture here, Boston hadn't played in three days, and the Blues just came off back-to-back physical battles with literally no time in between an afternoon game against minnesota and then a three-hour game later the next day in nashville so those are two physical brands of hockey and then the day off for the blues it was just a game that Boston wore down St. Louis and Tory Krug said yesterday, you're, Boston's a team that tries to do exactly what the blues do. They wear you down until the third period and that's where they pounce on you. And I thought the blues did a really good job of not being worn down in the third period. The second period was just a period that got away from them. But anytime a team tries to bring the physicality in a playoff setting where it's game day off game day off and you're not worrying about back to backs and travel for a game. And then the next day you're coming back home. No, it's two games there, two games here, and then the one-offs for the rest of the way. I like the way that the Blues match up against physical teams because we saw
1: Boston brought some nastiness out of St. Louis last night. It's interesting because I didn't feel like it was the physicality that was the issue for the Blues. Now, I, I could be totally wrong because, Alex, I would say the vast majority of people reacted to that game the way that you are here, and then I know Joey and Curbs had a different takeaway than I did too, and it goes along with this from the 3-1-4, and you guys can get involved. 6 5 7 is your comfort service Text Line. That was the first game I attended last night. It was boring, hot garbage hockey. Two teams in the playoffs playing slow and sloppy. That came from Drew on the Air Comfort Service text line. I didn't view it that way. And maybe I'm just totally off base on the way that I saw that game last night. It's more than possible. I thought that what happened, I, I don't know if it was the physicality so much as it was the way they were playing through the neutral zone. It was congestion. Now, if you want to call that physical, that, that's fine. But I, I thought it was just the way they were playing the passing lanes that frustrated the Blues and that they weren't able to get to those rush opportunities. They weren't able to get the three on twos, the two on ones going in the other way. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, I have played an excellent game last night uh, for Boston. No surprise. Probably going to be your Selkie Award winner this year. He was awesome for them. Their defense was all over the Blues through the neutral zone and then skating back into their own end. So I thought it was great to see that style going up against the Blues the same way that I love if you're watching a football game in the middle of the season where when the Patriots were going through their run, I loved watching what Bill Belichick would do defensively against whoever the best offense was in the league at that point in time, because you'd find out, okay, what is he going to do against them? And then how are other teams going to try to copy that same mold? And I thought that's what we saw last night. You saw the Boston Bruins attack the Blues in a very specific way. I can't wait to hear what Jamie says about the way that they were able to do it because I just frankly don't have the hockey mind to be able to to go into the X's and O's of it. But it seems to me like they did something through the neutral zone that congested it even though at times I didn't feel like it was overly physical in what they were doing. Yeah. They were putting bodies in the neutral
4: zone and Jamie's going to know this better than I will. But I mean, we've seen this, the Islanders did this to the blues. The Rangers did this to the blues when they lost those two games out in the East coast. They they stack bodies in the
5: neutral zone. First, off, I should turn my mic off. We saw them struggle with this last year when they went up against that one three. It was a one three one from the. Yeah, game. it's the
4: old New Jersey Devils system that they usually do it. They put a lot of guys in the neutral zone so that you you don't have the ability to stick handle around defensemen and get into the offensive zone off of the rush. You base they're forcing you to say dump it and beat our our players back for the puck and the blues again the blues played two physical battles sometimes you just don't have it in games like that and also it is the regular season now if this was postseason i think you might have seen a different outcome with something like this i i, I did feel like the physicality got the best of the blues in this one mostly because of the frustration that came with it because we seen this t- the, we see this blue seem very calm cool and collected and it is rare you see guys going back to the bench and slamming the doors smacking sticks on the bench
1: can i be honest i loved that oh i love I, it i love seeing them being that engaged in a game that let's be honest here these last six games really don't matter for the blues like they do because you want home ice advantage but that's all that's on the line you know who you're gonna play but when but when you have guys doing
4: that it, they're 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 trying to do too much and you're getting frustrated and that's where the game slips away. Now the blues did a really good job of not becoming individualistic in terms of, okay, well I'm gonna go win this game for myself. They stuck to their team game, Absolutely, but you lost that that, you lost that that style that they play of like, okay, well, we're going to continue to do what we do because something's going to open up at some point. It's just a patience game with the Blues. And Boston did it really well. Boston knows St. Louis. They've played them a lot, if you haven't remembered from what they've done in the past. <laughs> but Boston does it too to where they say, go ahead, do what you're going to do. We're going to continue our game, and sooner or later, you're going to make a mistake. And when you do, we will pounce on it. Blues did that in the second period when they just put a puck to the net. Thomas found himself all alone. Taylor Hall did that with the Boston Bruins when he slipped down behind all of the defenders and picked up that rebound to score the goal. Opportunistic. You know what I
1: loved, too? To to, to your point on all of that, you you said the Blues stayed patient with it. I thought the Thomas Tarasenko and uh, Buchnevich line last night was really good. Thomas Sankovich line.
5: What
4: the Thomas Sankovich line. thought of that yesterday. I dubbed it. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Oh, come on I
1: thought they were really good. <laughs> it's, it's second best to Shorshenko. <laughs> and in a game like that that's in the past, I think that's the line you would have been worried about going Pineapple into that buddy. individualistic mindset. yeah and they didn't last night. Thomas, I can't even count the number of times he would carry it through the neutral zone and then drop it in. And that's the thing that they had not been doing. And it drove Craig Baruby nuts midway through the season. They would drop passes. They tried to get man. fancy with it. Nope, not last night. Tom's like, okay, this is the way you're gonna play us. We're gonna dump it in. We're gonna go to work on the four check. And they did it. If they can continue doing that, I will bet on the blues in the playoffs against the wild, the abs, whoever. If they can stick to that game and they're able to be patient with it to your point, Alex that that portends a lot of playoff success for this team. So I know that they didn't get the win in regulation last night. They didn't get the win in general. I loved what I saw from the blues last night. It comes in a losing fashion, but man, that was great to watch. Coming up in about 15 minutes. We're going to get to the Cardinals, specifically Albert Pujols. My goodness, this bleeping guy. He just doesn't stop hitting last night. It came once again against left-handed pitching and oh boy. Are we seeing the biggest threat on the base paths emerge for the Cardinals? We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us to continue our discussion of last night's game here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber.
5: Brought to you by Sliman Brothers, your local appliance expert. Online at SlimeAndBros.com.
1: What's well, up, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend, in the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, how you doing, man? Brandon, doing great. How are you guys today? Uh, doing very well. Curbs, I said in the first segment, I loved what we saw last night in that game against the Bruins. I wanted to find out how the Blues would respond when somebody took away those rush opportunities. And according to the sta- uh, the, the broadcast last night, zero rush chances for the Blues in the first two periods. And then I thought they played a hell of a third period to be able to, to sustain that. What do you think of the Blues last night and how they responded to the way that the Bruins were playing against them?
3: Yeah, you know what? I, I didn't think that they had a whole lot of uh, extra energy in that game, and I thought I thought the, Blue, or the Bruins played a really good game. I, and, and then I also think that as the game went on, they were able to figure out how to realize what was going to be needed. When, when those opportunities in the neutral zone were taken away, it was get it behind the D, use your speed. I thought Robert Thomas had a great example of that later on in the game, where he, he put the puck in behind the D, and then his speed caught the D off guard, and he was able to get in first on the four check. So you know, to me, uh, I, I like the game. I like the fact that they gritted out a point in that game and, uh, and and all around played a pretty solid contest. Curbs, uh,
4: we were talking about this in the office, and I think we're going to get into this a little bit later. Hypothetically, if the Blues were in the Stanley Cup final, who would be the team that you would want to see the Blues play? Because all three of us kind of agreed Boston would be a hell of a lot of fun after watching that game and then watching the one that was played in Boston a few days ago.
3: Yeah, holy moly. I hope we have this problem to, to figure out. Um yeah, I think you know. Honestly, I, I think that the, the the two teams that you'd want to face, to be honest with you, would probably be Boston or 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 Washington, and that's because they have more holes, I think, than some of the. What other about
1: teams if it did. wasn't like for the best matchup curves, but the most entertaining as a fan? Like you as a hockey fan, you've been a hockey fan your entire life. You just want to see the best possible matchup between the Blues and blank. Who is that team?
3: Well, then, then I I think I think you go the Florida Panthers. They are an awesome squad. They. they they can score. They're the top-scoring team. I think the Blues and and Florida are top, uh, top three in terms of most points from forwards this season. They've got every aspect of their game going. Um, I, I think that that could be an extraordinarily exciting series uh, to, to see that one play out.
1: Talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, what what was it specifically that Boston did through the neutral zone last night? I'm always fascinated by seeing uh, some of the best defensive teams and what they try to do against the best offensive teams. I love, uh, I mentioned this in the opening segment, I love watching Bill Belichick try to scheme up against the best offenses in the league during their run in in New England. What did you see last night that Boston specifically tried to do to contain the Blues offense?
3: Well, and I thought we saw Nashville do it as well, and at least in, in the first period against the Blues on, on Easter Sunday. Uh, when, when they drop some players back, the Blues, you know, try to get going and, and they, they don't necessarily like to always just come up the near boards with the puck. And they were pinching off that the, the plays across the middle of the ice. Teams like that that have really good sticks that can deflect those passes when the Blues are trying to go rink wide or, or feed through the middle. And, and, and they were taking that away. So that means the Blues are going to have to skate the puck up a little bit further, somehow gain that red line, chip it in, and then get that zone with some speed to put some pressure on the defense. And, you know, I I think I referenced it last night. that There was a whole sequence where I said it was a game of pong, you know, over the red line because both teams would touch it. It would come back. The other team would grab it. And we've seen now back-to-back games where there's been very little space in the neutral zone. And when you have two teams that can move up and down the ice as a cohesive unit, two teams that – that are given the support like we saw the Blues do during this win streak, like we've seen uh, th- these last three teams that we played, except for the second period, of course, with Nashville. But prior to that, and even in the third period we saw it, when you see them supporting each other with the puck, you don't have a whole lot of room to move the puck, and that means you've got to even battle harder for it. So to me, that that that's what these teams are doing. That's what the Blues are frankly doing, and, and it's, it creates for a pretty good tight brand of hockey. You know, and I, and, and I, listen, I don't know that, the hitting part is a real interesting part here. Although I think Alec, I think uh, Ivan Barbashev had more hits than-, than were charted last night, even though he was already charted with a career high seven. You know, but for the last few games where the Blues have been out hit. I think one, it shows kind of more of the physical nature of those other teams, but I think it also shows the puck control ability of the Blues. You're not hitting when you have the puck you're hitting when you're chasing it, and, and I think that's been a big factor.
4: Kirk, speaking of those hitting and with Ivan Barbashev, Craig Berube made a comment about Barbie last night after the game, talking about how impactful he is when he's playing physical, and I was talking about this on postgame. In terms of the matchups, I'm kind of looking at that Barbashev, Shen, and Jordan Kyrou line, because you would imagine the opposition's best defensive forward line is going to be going up against the Thomas line, and O'Reilly's line is going to be going up against the opposition's best offensive line, which sets up possibly an opportunity for Shen Barbashev and Kairo to exploit some mismatches.
3: Yeah, it does. And the reality of it is, is, let's say it's Colorado, for example, um, or even the Kaprizov line You know, with Minnesota. The, when you're on the road, you're not going to get the matchups you want all the time. So you really what coaches do is they tend to look on a two-line matchup. What two lines are they trying to get out against that one line for the other team? And you're right. So that could open up the Shen line quite a lot. To me, you know what you're getting every night by Barbashev. You know what you're getting every night from Shen think we saw a little couple steps forward again last night from Jordan Cairo. So to me, that's a, that's a really important thing and positive to see there. You know, when, when they traded Oscar Sunquist, we talked to Craig Barubi just after that deal. And he mentioned how really, you know, the roles are going to be filled by, he thinks by two guys. One, it's one eventually that Toropchenko, he thinks could step in, maybe not as offensively as Sunquist was, you know, but in terms of hitting and, and, and the energy he can bring, that there's that aspect of it. But then he talked about Barbashev really being in, and Barbashev knows it. He he, he says, look, do I want to necessarily go in there and hit Nikita Zadorov? You know, every time, no, he says, but but I've got to do it. And you see him leading through that way. I, Ivan Barbashev is a terrific player. Now, man, I'll go back to this. Man, am I glad they protected that guy. <laughs>
1: And I'm glad Seattle didn't take uh, Vladimir Tarasenko <laughs> yeah. as well when he was unprotected.
3: <laughs> That's exactly right,
1: uh, Curves. I did want to ask you the final thing that I've got for you today. Uh, Ville Huso, Jordan Bennington. They've been going back and forth, splitting it basically fifty-fifty over their last six games. Now, do you expect that to be the split over the next five games? What? what how do you think they split this thing up down the stretch?
3: Well, with 12 games to go, I thought you'd see Bennington get five games. Uh, you've got a couple of back-to-backs here. You go from Arizona to Anaheim, there's the back-to-back. Actually, I'm really looking forward to that, Arizona, to that Anaheim game. Uh, I, I think it's a treat that we're going to get a chance to see Ryan Getzloff's last game in the, in the National Hockey League. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that day. Um, but, but I think, yeah, you're going to see, I, I would expect to see Bennington probably with, with, with six games to go. Or you know, it it's five games to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd expect Jordan Bennington to probably get at least two of those. So I, I think it's pretty clear the way that they've started the goaltenders of late and how they've done it, that right now that net is Billy Huso's. Uh, but, but it's good to see Jordan Bennington have the kind of games that he's had. And I, I would expect to see him at least two more times easily uh, before the end. It's all said and done.
1: Do you go Bennington in the next two and then finish out the final three with Huso? Just so that way, because no. you've got the back-to-back on Saturday, Sunday.
3: Yeah, no, I, I don't I do not do that because I think – and I think we saw that. I think there was an opportunity in Boston to maybe kind of switch it up and start Jordan Bennington. And when they started Billy Russo in Boston, to me, that, that kind of said that, hey, look, uh, they didn't want to give, I think, Jordan the – or I'm sorry, Billy four or five days without getting in that. I think they want to keep him in a rhythm, and that's why I think they're seeing that. So, um, you know, I, I would expect to see we've got – you know what? We've got tomorrow in San Jose – um, I think you probably start Billy tomorrow in San Jose. You go and then maybe give him the Anaheim game as well. It'll be an interesting one, one to see how this all shakes out. It'll be fascinating even more so to me how it plays out against Colorado and Vegas and how they go in there, especially knowing you know that both of those, at least the Colorado one, could be an interesting tone setter.
1: Yeah, especially with the the time off because you got the Tuesday at Colorado and then you don't play again until Friday at home against Vegas and right. then you got a few days off until the start of the playoffs. It's going to be interesting uh, just to see how they decide to tune up going into the postseason. Hey, Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for adjusting with us on the fly. I know you got a, uh, no pun intended, a flight to catch. We'll talk with you again next week, man. All right, guys, have an awesome week. We'll talk to you from the road. Same to you. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, we will get into some questions and answers. 65780 is your comfort service Tax line. That's coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the speediest man on the Cardinals right now. That's that's the word you're going to go with, the speediest man, Albert Pujols. We'll talk about him next.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN And Pujols puts it in play Down the right field line It may drop and It will It's a base hit and Albert's thinking too. get it there. Albert standing up. It's a double for Albert Pujols he's taking
4: really good at bats and uh, specifically against the left handers. He's looking really good. Um, he feels good about it and uh, we feel equally as good about it.
1: That is what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest. That voice you heard was Ali Marmel after the game talking about Albert Pujols who is just crushing left handed pitching. Alex, here is the entire list of major league players so far this season that have a better OPS against left-handed pitching than Albert Pujols and right-handed pitching. That was it. There is nobody in the entire sport that has a better OPS than Albert Pujols this year was against that, lefties. Was that the joke? That was the joke. Yeah, how to, how to, how the land? It landed.
4: I think it landed on the. I think it landed on the opposite uh, island that it was trying to get to, but it landed.
1: <laughs> thanks, thanks,
4: Tanner. I know we it, Crickets
1: would have been better, but
4: it's okay.
5: <laughs> I don't know if I have
4: crickets over we here. We should look into it. Oh, here it. we go. Yeah, and
5: not and crickets. Close. That's crickets. Okay. Kind of crickets. you
1: thinking that crickets sound like you felt right. Uh, Albert is six for nine so far this year against lefties, with a double, two home runs, five runs, four RBI. He struck out just once. He's been hit by a pitch. He's been outstanding, guys. I don't think there is anybody right now that I would rather see less if I'm a pitcher that is throwing left-handed than Albert Pujols. And I think this is what we can expect, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, what's he going to look like in August? I don't know how anybody could possibly tell you they know for certain, but he's in excellent shape. He is hitting the crap out of the ball right now. It sounds different coming off of his bat. And it totally changes the look of this lineup right now. When you've got a left-handed pitcher on the mound and the two, three, four, five that they've got to go up against, and honestly, you can add in Tommy Edman as your six-hole hitter in this uh, category as well. Is Goldie, O'Neal, Arenado, Pujols, and then Edman? Good luck, man. There, there are many lineups that I would rather face less than that one as a left-handed pitcher. Uh, Tommy Edmond should be hitting leadoff, maybe. Guy just continues to rake against right-handed pitching. How about pitching. Albert leadoff? He's and seen left-handed them
5: wheels? pitching. Man, Albert could hit leadoff. For the Albert Cardinals.
4: should hit leadoff, man. I'm fine with it. You have the absolute I mean, possibility Daniel, to go from first to home on any play. If it's to the gap, your first they base it runner. and it
5: goes to the wall. So
1: far this year, Albert Pujols has scored from first to th- er, from first. <laughs> He has tried stealing third on a, a right-handed, right-handed pitcher. Mind you, the guy who was staring at third base before
4: he actually goes into his windup, he tried to steal on that and man. And he legged out a double last night on a blooper. He's legged out a couple of doubles, hasn't he? Uh, last night was a, a real leg. Like, I mean, he he almost He was feeling a, good. He was in, a in a, Miami. He almost tore a meniscus trying to slide into second base. But you're right. I mean, we spent all offseason talking about going to get the Kyle Schwarbers or getting the Castellanos or going to get the guy who can, who can lengthen that batting order behind Arenado, Goldschmidt and O'Neal. And I don't think any of us believed Albert Pujols would be that guy. We thought Albert Pujols could be that guy on occasion. We thought maybe Albert Pujols could be the guy maybe in the six hole, but we were all talking about Paul de Young, Dylan Carlson. Those were going to be the guys that lengthen out this lineup for you. Now, if Albert Pujols is hitting like this, you have right now one of the more dangerous hitters in baseball, one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball against the lefty, behind one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball, no against matter anybody. who's on the mound. Yeah. And when we get into the warmer weather, Paul Goldschmidt's going to be there, Tyler O'Neill's going to be there, and then you also have the conundrum of when Carlson starts to hit, when Tommy Edmond continues what he's doing, and if Paul DeYoung starts to heat up. This is why this offense has been so dangerous and can be so dangerous and why we're so high on it, because there's no opportunity to breathe if you're a pitcher, especially if you're a lefty. And I don't know what that we were talking about this in the office, what the National League looks like with lefties in terms of rotation pitchers. I don't think there's a lot of them, but when you go up against those, let's say in a playoff series, I don't know how many teams are going to be able to breathe against that if it continues
5: on. And with the way Albert's playing against left-handed pitching, you have to pitch to Nolan Arnato There's no easy out. You put Arnato on... Albert could easily just drive him home, especially the way he's been swinging the bat. Now you get to the right-handed side of that, that's where things become interesting because you haven't seen any of your left-handed options put too much fear into pitchers' eyes so far. And if it continues that way, they're going to be able to avoid pitching Nolan Arenado if they're going to continue to hit these guys fifth in the order. But that's what makes them dangerous against left-handed pitching, to your point, Alex, is there's no real easy breath of fresh air when it comes to looking at that lineup i, I mean you could look at you could say paul younges doesn't hit for average but he's still got power he can still make you pay if you make one mistake and if
4: yadi's not in there and kisner's hitting there is no place to breathe
5: yeah and even and at some point too i think Yadi's going to get back to more yadi himself at the plate mm-hmm. so when that does occur then there's still no place to breathe and if you're saying yadier molina is the worst hitter in your lineup, i was about
1: to say i think he's going to be probably their worst hitter this year and that's not a shot against yadi i think it speaks to the depth of this lineup
5: yeah right that's what i was gonna say if he's the worst hitter in your lineup then that tells you how good your lineup is and harrison bader crushes left-handed pitching and he's going to continue to do so And then Dylan Carlson, he's better on the right side of the play. He's just in a little bit of a uh, struggle to begin the season, and I think he's going to get out of that. And he's better, in my opinion, on the right side, and the numbers will back that up. So there is no breath of fresh air for left-handed pitchers, and it almost forces you almost to kind of, especially yesterday, I mean, you look at Jesus Lazardo. I'm sure he wanted out of that game a lot quicker than he ended up going. You yeah. know, it's the Marlins. And you know the when they took him out, by the way? They took him out when Pools came when back Pools, up. Because, because
1: then you have two on with Pujols up and one out? I think it was one on. I'd have to go back to the exact situation. But um, it was very clear. Don Mattingly saw Pools come into the plate. He's like, we can't do this. We're, we're not letting him face Albert again. And that doesn't happen last year with the five-hole hitter that the Cardinals had. Like, Yachty's probably batting in that spot a year ago if you're in the same situation. And they might let Lozardo continue in the game because... Just be honest, Yachty does not impose the same amount of fear into an opposing manager or an opposing starting pitcher as this version of Albert Pujols does.
5: Yeah, there were runners at the corners with one out when they went. Go. They ended up making the change last night. And they probably wanted the right-handed, because Pujols is a double, I think he's actually maybe has hit the most double plays in baseball history, if I'm not mistaken. No, which he is said a, that wrong. He's his, a
4: doubles hitter.
5: Sorry. Also a double play <laughs> g- candidate. <laughs> uh, hey, not with that speed. <laughs> but not not against left handed pitch. That's true, not with that speed. But against left handed pitching you're probably less likely to get him to hit into the double play. So why do you do? You end up going to the right hander and hope it works out for you. And I don't think it did in case of the uh no it didn't. They end up scoring around yeah. on a fielder's choice. So yeah. Because but, of the speed of Albert Pujols. Exactly.
1: For what it's worth, you look around the national league right now in terms of the teams that the Cardinals I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but this team looks like it's a playoff contender, at least to me. I just want to win a game. I hear you. But you look around the national league. What would this look like? If the Cardinals were trying to go into a series against left-handed pitching, because that's clearly where the Cardinals offense uh, really succeeds at a high level. The Mets, Phillies, Brewers don't really have guys at the top of their rotation that would fit into that category, but the Phillies, or excuse me, the, the Padres do. Manaya's a lefty. Oh. Mackenzie Gore is a lefty. Uh, you look at the Blake Braves. Snow. They've got Max Freed. Yeah, Blake Snell also a lefty in the in the Padres rotation. Sean Manaya what could have been? You look over to the Dodgers, Urias, Heaney, and Kershaw. All could potentially start games for them. Uh, uh, Kershaw, the Giants have Rodon and Alex Wood. These teams that you could match up against in the playoffs, there's really no way for them to get around it. They're going to have to start some lefties against you. And in those series with the way that the Cardinals are currently constructed, that looks like good matchups for St. Louis. And if you don't believe me, you want to look into the numbers more uh, the Cardinals right now against left-handed pitching have a 585 slugging percentage as a team. Are they the most dangerous team? And a 940 OPS. That is the best in baseball. The so most far lethal
4: team against left-handed pitching. That is the slogan for this Cardinals team. So
1: far, 100 plate appearances against kind of lefties. Long. So yeah. it, it's a small sample size, but not a minuscule one. Uh, then they have... Clearly outplayed everybody else. There's only three teams right now that have an OPS above 870 against left-handed pitching. It's the Cardinals, the White Sox, and the Phillies. You would expect the White Sox and the Phillies to be on that list. I'm not sure coming into the year that a whole lot of people would have had the Cardinals on that.
4: New category. nickname LAL Lethal against lefties. That's this Cardinals team. Ooh, I like Mark it. Market. Tell MLB wait, Network wait, to put L- it on LAL
1: LAL like L O L against lefties.
4: Tell Greg like Ams they're going to make a top eight
1: for that. Lal We'll get to questions and answers coming up here in just a minute. Wow! Did you guys hear Yadi talking about Albert's uh, speed last night
4: after the game? I would imagine he's talking about how it looks like uh, the flash out there on the on the uh, base path. Let's have Yadi take us to break. Okay.
3: Yeah, that was pretty fun. Pretty cool. Pretty fun. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's gonna sleep like a baby tonight. Yeah.
2: <laughs> To the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN
1: is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers a little bit of news to pass along from the nfl man this wide receiver market is nuts so according to ian rapaport and dan graziano is the other one that was reporting this the 49ers no, darlington Jeff darlington excuse me uh debo samuel has debo? requested a oh, trade
5: no.
1: Demanding really is probably the better phrasing on this. Uh, he's quote, unwilling to engage in a contract offer from the 49ers. They would like to make him one of the highest paid receivers in NFL history. He doesn't want to play for them anymore. According to Ian Rappaport, money is quote, not at the root of the issues for Debo Samuel. Otherwise that could be fixed with their big offer. There are issues with the way that he's being used in their offense. End quote. Do not want to be a running back? I guess <laughs> he wants to be a receiver. So, I can understand it from this perspective. There's definitely more risk in terms of injury if you're a running back. But if you're getting a massive contract, that would seem to cover for that injury risk. I don't think he's going to find a better role on another team than what he has right now for his unique skill set. Part of what makes him so productive as a player is the role that he's currently in. But if he wants to go somewhere else, where would you guys like to see him? Tanner you can't say the Rams and I can't say the Chiefs but yeah, you already got Allen Robinson other yeah. than those two teams where would you like me to Devo. see him go
5: Get to sing his name all the time
1: the Jets feel like the obvious
4: answer here I just I mean if you're Devo I would not be wanting to go to the Jets yeah play they, with that San Francisco
5: called me and said hey you've been traded Jets I'm so yeah, sorry I'm gonna take take me go back. back to
4: San Francisco and like I, I don't want the Giants although it's nice to have a Brian Dable there you don't have a quarterback, have a quarterback. quarterback. I'm looking for a quarterback so if I'm if I'm if I'm Debo, I'm calling or I'm wanting Green Bay. What about Baltimore? Baltimore's, Baltimore's not one. bad. Maybe Tampa, considering they're not going to have Bay's Chris a Godwin. Answer, by the way. Baltimore, uh, the one that I told you guys in the in the break, and I don't know if this would work. If I'm the Carolina Panthers, I'm going to call and try and find a way to get him. And then I'm going to get Baker Mayfield from Cleveland for absolutely nothing. And now my offense is DJ Smith with Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey for four games and then Baker Mayfield. I mean, it's not the greatest, but it's it's up there in the NFC, at least competition wise. What about Chicago? Put them up there with
1: Justin Fields. That's a really good one. one. Yeah, they, they don't speed. have a They don't have the picks, though. They don't have a first round pick, I don't
5: think. Yeah, I, but what do you think it would require first? I mean, you could do the equivalent of a couple seconds. I mean, that's, Chiefs I don't didn't think get a second either. Oh, I'm not sure Jesus. where the first pick is, honestly. Oh, it's probably with Las Vegas. It's <laughs> probably the back trade. I think the and Chiefs then they are, traded him. I think the Chiefs are the way to go,
1: too.
4: I can't we say know, that. They're Why? off the table for me. Why is that? You want Jordan Davis? to talk about them. Why can't um, you talk about him, man? What about New Orleans? No. Why? So you can go watch Taysom Hill throw you passes over your head. You could
5: split snaps with him at quarterback if he wanted. I'd
4: rather play with Trey Lance or Zach Wilson. Maybe uh, maybe
5: that's what he wants. He wants to be a quarterback. Philly. Philly's an interesting one. Philly would make some sense. with Him in a No, I'm not playing with with Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith. Boy, that would be a quick and Dallas Goddard.
1: That's a... No way. You don't get a quarterback. But next year, I bet you they'll have one. They're going to have some talent next, or they're going to have some draft pick capital next year. You- you're basically wasting a year this year. I think Baltimore makes the most sense.
5: Baltimore does. Baltimore makes a
1: lot of sense. I think Green Bay makes a lot of sense, too. You know who else would make some sense? I, I can't believe we haven't even p- said this team. Buffalo. New England.
5: I thought of them, but I just don't know how well he yeah. fits in
1: the New England system. I think he fits perfect with that system because you just run him on crossers all day long. He it- Put him in the Julian Edelman role. I just Hey, you're going to run across the middle every single time, and you're going to take a ton of hits. That dude is so strong and so good after the catch. Him with Mac Jones I think makes a ton of sense because Mac can't throw deep, so you need somebody to create those opportunities after the catch. That might be the team that gets aggressive here. I, I could see New England wanting to go after a player We're like are gonna get traded at the draft, right? Before, probably, Before, yeah. Before, you think? Yeah.
5: It's worth more capital before then yes, i guess it would true. be plus you don't have to just kind of scramble around at and yeah, i eight. would think
1: this is something that happens within the next week I, I would be surprised if you don't have something take place over the next week or so uh 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers uh from the 314 guys have you been surprised by how well albert pools has played so far this year
4: i, I mean yeah in all honesty I wasn't expecting this Albert Pujols. I was expecting an Albert Pujols that would be good maybe once every three or four games we'd see him in. And I didn't think we'd be seeing him as much as we're seeing. Definitely didn't think we'd see this aggressive Albert Pujols that's scoring from first and legging out doubles and stealing bases. Like, I I didn't expect this Albert Pujols. I also didn't expect the power even against righties where he's hitting the ball really hard. So I don't know what my expectations were, but they definitely weren't this.
5: Yeah, I don't think my expectations were at this. I I thought you were going to see probably a little bit less in this. Because like like you said, Alex, even against... He's only had, what, two games where he's gone against right-handed pitching? In those two games, I don't think he's recorded one hit, but he's hit the ball hard on just about every at-bat that he's had. And lefties, he's just demolishing, which maybe I could have seen that a little bit. But I thought his numbers last year against left-handed pitching weren't going to be sustainable. Yeah, he's continued from where he left off from last year. So, yeah, I have to say I'm surprised because I did not expect to see this in fact I thought at some point we we're going to be talking about you know what do you do with your right-handed option because maybe pools isn't panning out because he's going to take a step back against left-handed pitching I felt more confident in the left-handed options the Cardinals had than I did the right-handed in pools and pools has exceeded expectations and so far in the small sample size Corey Dickerson and Lars Newport have not lived up to what I was expecting them to do
1: yeah I've been I thought he would be if we're going scale of one to ten right I thought he would be like a 7 or an 8 out of 10 in terms of what he would accomplish against left-handed pitching. He's been a 10. He's been, I mean, we just gave you the numbers earlier today, the best right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching in baseball so far this year. So... Yeah, I've been surprised by that. I didn't think he, I didn't know he had that in him anymore, and it's been super impressive to watch. So, uh, yeah, I'd I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't at least a little bit surprised by the way that he's played so far this year. Uh, We'll get out of here on this one, Alex. Do you think that the Blues can fit David Perron into their budget for next year?
4: Yeah, I think so, Uh, because I don't think David Perron's going to be wanting to break the bank at this point of his career. I think it's going to be more so where he wants to be and obviously make some decent money that comes into it, but. I mean, I, I think David Perron's going to be looking at two, 2 million, two and a half million dollars per year. And, Blues can absolutely fit that in their budget. I mean, they just shaved off the money that Oscar Sundquist was making and you would assume Nick Letty's not going to be back or Marco Scandella, one of the two. So I think they can fit him in no matter what and I, I believe they will fit him in because he's a big piece of that locker room for this team
1: coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll get to a game of more likely to happen. But next Kylie McDaniel joins the show. He yesterday wrote the piece on ESPN.com about the top aces in baseball. Didn't even have the Cardinals with one listed. We'll get to that with him. And I want to get his thoughts on Nolan Gorman and his hot, th- start to the season. Kylie McDaniel of
2: ESPN next
1: on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: I'm tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn happy to go out to the brown and group and celebrity line be joined by kylie mcdaniel he's major league baseball's insider for espn.com writes a lot about prospects over there also he's the author of future value the battle for superstar soul or excuse me for baseball's soul and how teams will find the next superstar reading is difficult kylie we appreciate the time as always man how you doing today
0: I mean, I'd like to battle for the souls of superstars, too, but that's a little outside of my purview.
4: I know. I, I thought we were talking, like, Avengers there for a minute. Like, is he writing about, like, Thanos here? Are we going for the Soul Stone?
1: What, what's going on right now? I mean, now? the lockout kind of felt that way at times. It took so away. Maybe that's what I was going for there.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of souls out there, and I'm just trying to rank them in the right order.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of rankings, good transition there, Kylie. Yesterday, uh, you put together a piece over at ESPN.com on Major League Baseball's aces for 2022 and which guys could also emerge this season as an ace. I kept scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. I figured at some point I would get to a Cardinal, but I never found him. What was your what was the thought process that went into not having Jack Flaherty or Adam Wainwright uh, on this list?
0: Uh, Flaherty was in the mix. Uh, I think he was in the sort of just missed last year. And, you know, I guess at some point, like, you could put anyone on there that, like, has been an ace in the last two years or might be one in the next two years. And then eventually half the starters in baseball are listed. Because hmm. it's just like everybody's been really good for three starts at some point. And, like, I almost put Carlos Rodon on there. And he's had, like, you know, obviously started the season really good, was just a free agent to sign a two year deal and, like, couldn't get used in the playoffs last year. Like, he's been extremely up and down. But, like, right now, today, He's one of the top ten pitchers in baseball, and I didn't put him on there because it's just like, yeah, let's see a little bit more than that. And I think with Flaherty, if you, you know, if you get exactly what you're looking for for, you know, another ten starts or so, like he might be back in that mix. Like certainly, if you know, I, th- I think that's sort of the point of the article is like, oh, if you're like a playoff team, you probably have one of these guys that at least is in the mix of twenty twenty five guys you're looking at. And if you don't have one of those guys, you might want two guys that are just off of that list. And I think in the scenario where the Cardinals are a playoff team and things are going well and you had a good season, like Flaherty's probably one of those guys. And you're hoping you can find a second guy that at least in the, you know, in in the short term is performing that way. And I don't think that's like far fetched, but you know, obviously every fan would like to be like, Oh, we have Degrom and Scherzer and they're both healthy and we're, we're cruising. Like, you know, it's, it's not available to every fan base. So, you know, it's kind of a pie in the sky to have that outcome.
4: Yeah. We all can't have Stephen Cohen money here and just go out and get whoever the hell we want anymore. I like but... would love to do that. Is it a bad thing for the Cardinals though, at this time though, Kylie, to, to not have one of those guys in that position because We've all seen the offense and the pitching seems to be the biggest concern.
0: Yeah, to me, I don't think the concept of an ace is very important for like having a good season or making the playoffs. Because if you have like a good, you know, seven starter depth and you're rotating and you always have a chance to win every night, that's really all you need in the regular season. Now in the playoffs, obviously the concept of an ace reliever or a or an ace starting pitcher becomes a bigger factor, both because the sort of margins get smaller. You, you don't want them all getting in play. They pitch more of the innings in the playoffs than they do in the regular season. It gives like some you know feeling of safe uh, safeness, I guess, to the um to you know the, the fans and the team and the coaches and all that kind of thing. So like I think it is more of a factor once you get there. And so I think it's one of those things you you know if you don't have one and you're going to be a playoff team, you can add one or hope that somebody emerges. And if you're like the Brewers, it's just like every two years one of them pops up and you just sort of create another one and then you have too many and you leave them in relief. Uh, but, yeah, in terms of the regular season, I think it's essentially like a total non-factor. It's just something that makes you feel better about your team going forward. And in the playoffs, you'd like to have it. But, like, you know, we've seen teams go deep that have, you know, sort of nobody's become that ace in the bullpen and then have some nobody's pitching well for one off offseason uh, or for one you know, right, uh, playoffs and kind of get you there. It's just usually you have, you know, that that back-end ace and that front-end ace when you're going to make, like, a title run.
1: Kylie McDaniels, our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Kylie MCD. Kylie, I wanted to ask you about the Cardinals kind of philosophy right now when it comes to their pitching is almost a throwback to what they were in the early 2010s under John Mosey they've got a lot of guys that are sinker ballers they're pitching to contact they don't have a whole lot of wipeout stuff both in the rotation and honestly in the back end of the pin as well outside of really Gallegos and Helsley those are the two guys that are, are getting a lot of the strikeouts what do you think about that philosophy given the defense that they have do you think that can work over the long haul
0: yeah, and I think it's important to have, like, a point of view as an organization about this stuff. I think there's a lot of teams that, you know, saw what Houston did five, six years ago, getting a lot of, like, high spend, high slot, scene curveball kind of guys. And they just sort of were like, oh, well, there's a smart team doing that. We'll just do that. And then you end up being late to that when all 30 teams are looking for those guys in the draft or in free agency or, you know, they're looking for the next, you know, Colin McHugh or whoever it is on waivers everyone's looking for the same thing. You want to be a little bit ahead of that going to the next thing. And there was some buzz this off that because the automated, automated strike zone was coming at some point uh, that teams thought that the top of the strike zone was going to be lost. And that, that, that low strike, that like curveball in the dirt that gets called a strike uh, by the robots, that that would be more of a factor. And so then sinkers and sinker slider and those sorts of more pitch to contact kind of things become more valuable. And I know the Cardinals in the last, draft took a guy that a lot of teams didn't like where they took him with Michael McGreevy, a sinker ballard of UC Santa Barbara. And when I talk to the Cardinals, their point of view is basically like, well, he's got the best chance to throw 200 innings and be like a mid rotation starter. And like, who cares if it's a sinker. And I think what they're really getting at is like, maybe sinkers will be the thing everyone's trying to get in the future. And I definitely noticed in the draft and you see some of the big leagues too, that like guys that are lower slots come at you from unusual angles. will throw like a low approach angle, low slot sinker, you know, the sweetie side-to-side slider, that seems like to be where most of the, quote, smart teams, yeah. analytic teams, whatever you want to call it, they seem to be leaning toward that kind of guy now because I think that's sort of migrating because those guys are a little undervalued, and I think you're going to start seeing like some you know second and third wave teams moving in that direction. And so I think the Cardinals may have gotten to that conclusion a little bit differently, but I think it is smart to at least go in a direction and have a point of view and have it not be what everybody else is doing. And I, it just happens with the Cardinals to be something that they were doing you know for a lot of the last couple you know decades.
4: Kylie, one thing I wanted to ask on that defensive topic is Nolan Gorman, who's been tearing it up for the Memphis Red. Birds, and I think everyone expected this with that offense, but we're just trying to figure out where he's going to fit in with this Cardinals team other than the DH spot because Tommy Edmund looks just as valuable as he did last year. And other than second base, I'm not really sure where else Nolan Gorman fits into this team.
0: I think he'll be one of those guys where you call him up and he DHs and then sort of spells guys when they have a day off, and eventually you're just like, well, we can't send this guy down. Like he's one of our, you know, nine visitors or, you know, however you want to say it. And I think that. I don't know. I think, I think that's how we break in. And then all of a sudden, you know, over the course of a long season when, you know, I casually mention you need seven starters, like, you know, every now and then there's a team that throws five starters every five days for the entire season and there's no six guys starting a game. But like in reality, like, you know, we see all the, you know, like the Dodgers and like all these playoff teams. It's like, oh, they have like three, like Chris Taylor's floating around that like aren't technically in the starting lineup on any given day when you like say who the best nine are, but they have a bunch of those guys floating around that can be really good. And then someone's in a slump or somebody gets hurt or, you know, whatever happens and you want that guy around. And you happen to have that guy. So, you know, whether it's now or a week from now or, you know, two months from now or it's DH only or you know, bench guy or whatever it is. Like he's the kind of guy that winning teams have. And I think he'll, he'll find a spot soon enough. And you can make an argument. He should have been there opening day, but I just think there wasn't necessarily a spot to put him.
1: Kylie, when you look at guys breaking into the big leagues, big leagues, rather as designated hitters, is that something that when you talk to people around the league, they have pause in doing just because it's such a different role than what many of them have had down in the minors, or is that something they're okay with by and large?
0: Well, in a long-term sense, if you have a young player that is – I mean, there's something called the DH penalty, which is essentially you underperform your offensive ability because the pres- presumption is because you're not doing anything the whole game. It's your sort of rhythm and focus. You get inside your own head. You're probably watching video while you're at-bats while everyone else is playing in the field. That you tend to not perform as well, broadly speaking. So if a guy's like a DH for multiple years, I think you're kind of eating into his offensive upside at some point, and it's probably a guy that isn't very good defensively. Uh, And so that, you know, he's already going to age quickly in the first place. So I think there's like a little bit of a stigma, rightfully so, of making a guy for multiple years sort of a DH only, but in the concept of like breaking him into the lineup that way and maybe just making the DH the spot where you can rotate guys out of playing and then have a guy like Gorman that can actually play like basically every position in the field except for, you know, I guess pitcher catcher shortstop. Um, and then having you know that guy be able to rotate in, I think that's useful. Like as a rotating in and breaking into the big leagues, I think the DH is great for young players and not manipulating service time because now you get an extra spot in the lineup to give that guy an opportunity to hit and to not have to be like, oh, you're starting once a week and then you have like you know pinch hit once in the eighth inning the whole week. Like that's not a way for a guy to break into the big leagues, but like playing every other day and getting four abs, like that is a way to break into the big leagues.
4: Since we're speaking of the DH, Kylie, are you fully invested in Albert Pujols has
0: found the fountain of youth? <laughs> Yeah, because I'd like to believe I'll be able to find it, too. I I wasn't like a D1 level talent, but like if he can do this, then, you know, anything's possible, right?
2: It's amazing
1: what we're watching, (laughs) man. He has the best OPS against lefty. It's an unbelievably small sample size. I totally understand that, and it's early in the season. We'll see what he looks like in August, but he's the best player in the league right now against left-handed pitching. Kylie, I don't understand it. And he steals third. (laughs) We'll try And more walks in strikeouts. Yeah, it's it's all kinds of stuff going on. And and at some point, I think we all know that, like, you know,
0: uh, numbers against left-handed pitching in, like, small sample sizes doesn't actually mean anything. But, like, he's also a Hall of Famer, and, like, he, you know, is good against left-handed pitching. And what is sports media but some way to cherry-pick some numbers and make people mad to, you know, call in and engage with your media? Like, I, I think that's what that's what our roles are in a big stage here. Yep. So, you know, I'm why glad you really understand that, Kylie. <laughs> he's the
1: great.
0: He's the greatest hitter against left-handed pitching we've ever seen. That's, that's what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to hop off, and you guys will have to deal yep. with the blowback. And we embrace go. the
1: hate, Kylie. No, that's no, no, what no. we do here. That, that's all love right here. Nobody in St. Louis is going to be upset with you for that. Kylie, final question. We'll get you out of here on this. Why isn't anybody hitting home runs this year?
0: Uh, I think it's just another trend. <laughs> some people are going with the sinker baller, and uh, some guys are just like, you know what, home runs? Uh, I'm past that. Uh, Jeff Tyson wrote something, I think it was yesterday, about how there may be something going on with the ball. <laughs> and I think there's been more team in the league, and I think there may be some metagame stuff going on in terms of, like, what are pitchers doing, what are hitters doing, broadly speaking. Also, it tends to be low earlier in the season. There's, like, a lot of, like, sort of small factors, and it's still pretty early. Uh, but it would not surprise me if uh, after we hit some highs in terms of home runs and strikeouts and things like that, and baseball's trying to figure out a way to find a happy medium and keep everybody happy in terms of you know the watching experience, it wouldn't shock me if that like you know came down a little bit just with a lot of little nudges, pushes in that direction.
1: Interesting. Hey, Kylie, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again soon.
0: Yeah, next time I'll make sure all my answers are just auditions for first take.
1: There we go. That's the the way to go about it. He's Kylie McDaniel, MLB insider for ESPN.com. Appreciate him joining us, as always, here on the show. Alex, that trend with with the home runs is really interesting to me, man. I I don't know if you read the story earlier this morning, but Jeff Passan did put it out, as Kylie mentioned there, Uh, the home run rate is the lowest that it has been since 2014. Uh, Over the last few years, (laughs) people hit home runs in just about four and a half to five and a half, depending on the season, uh, percent of their at-bats. This year, it's down to 3.9 percent. And that, as Kylie said, some of that is probably because it's early in the season. This tends to get higher as the season goes on because the weather warms up. But also on top of that, It doesn't it it increases by roughly the same margin on a year to year basis. So based on where it's at right now, we're probably going to finish the season with a way lower home run rate than what we're used to. That kind of seems to play into the Cardinals hands with the way that they are constructed. And by the way, with their ballpark as well. So I'll be really interested to follow this as the season continues.
4: I'll be interested. But you know who it doesn't apply to? our pools and Nolan Arenado, the
1: best left or best right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching in the history of baseball yep and then you got the uh, best hitter right now said.
4: in
5: the history of baseball Nolan Arenado. put it on a t-shirt coming up in 15 wow.
1: minutes we're gonna get back into wow. that conversation that wow. Alex had with Kylie McDaniel about Nolan Gorman do you bring him up as a DH or is that wasting his talent we'll do that coming up at 12 30 more likely to happen coming up next
2: they'll figure it out BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen
4: He actually did the uh, unbelievable and actually stopped to say hello to the receptionist today Didn't have anything for me Well, of course not because she was probably through your stuff in Got the some trash finality after yesterday on all of that. I heard her shredding you, something when I walked by did, when I left yesterday. Did you? Yeah, and I heard like it was Bon Jovi going No,
5: He's a little runaway
4: I see what you did there Some say it was a slippery
1: one wet Wait, is that a Bon Jovi sign? Hey, we're just going to move right along from that. 65780 oh, is your cup for service X. We're going to no, slide no, no, right fine. through here. Look <laughs> it um, up, buddy. <laughs> more likely to happen, the Blues will make a run to the Stanley Cup or Missouri makes the NCAA tournament to in Dennis Gates' one. first year.
5: We'll just make a run on the Stanley Cup. Like, we don't have to. I didn't even have to hit you ever what do you mean, that. One? man,
4: Dennis Gates has got this stuff.
5: Yeah, he's bringing in Juco guys.
4: He's bringing in the best Juco Top guys. Two.
5: That's what I'm saying. Best point
4: guard and best center. He doesn't think that he's a center, but best forward. And he's got a top 100 recruit in the system. He doesn't
5: even know what position the guy plays.
4: Doesn't matter. He can play anything. He's versatile, as they say. So with all this being said, I'm picking the Blues to go to the Stanley Cup final. Good call. Mostly because that's...
5: They have a real shot.
4: They got a real chance. Just don't know Dennis Gates. I said said they'll get to the tournament Mm. within his first three years.
5: That's not much.
4: What do you mean that's not much? It's more than what Konzo
5: got. Andrew got in his first, yeah. what, Well, two? Michael, Porter, first
4: three. Michael Porter Jr. got in the first two of the three. He didn't play. He did in the his playoffs. His brother was
5: better than him and Kyle. He did in the
4: first round of the, the one year, and then didn't he go
1: well. choked in that one. I was at that game. Missed like every shot possible. It didn't go well. He no. tried to go up for a dunk, and he couldn't jump high enough. No, he to lay it up. His
4: jump shots, he was barely getting off the ground. It was bad. Um, T-Bone could shoot better than that.
1: Um, I'm cool. going to go with the Blues as well. You had to question that? I'm pretty excited about what Dennis Gates is doing. I am too. Now I don't know what the success level is going to be, but I think there's a chance it works. I love DG. I mean, he's he's trying. <laughs> Just nickname him DG. Yeah. He's trying We're to buddies. do this year what Iowa State did last year. Uh, Iowa State basically completely turned over its its roster from. 2021 to 2022, they went from being a two and 22 team. They won two games last year, to this year being 22 and 13 and making the NCAA tournament and making it all the way to I believe it was the Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken. When they lost to Miami, they've never made it to the Sweet 16. That's what Mizzou's trying to accomplish this year. Doing so was a lot easier said than done, but that that's their goal. I don't think that they'll get that far, but uh, I'll go with the Blues just because they're they're closer. That. They, they already know they're at least making the playoffs, much less getting into the tournament. Uh 65780, 7 eight, oh, 0 cut for service, X-line. More likely to happen, Vladimir Tarasenko or Jordan Bennington get traded in the offseason?
4: I'll say it's... I'll say it's more likely... This is I'll, a tough one. This is a really tough one because on one hand, uh, you know, if Matthew Kachuk isn't back with Calgary or... If they re-sign Johnny Goudreau, like, the only way you can get a Matthew Kachuk is to trade Vladimir because of the money, but on the flip side of that, if Eli Huso continues to play well, I think they're going to legitimately search what could happen with Jordan Binnington. I'm going to say it's more likely with Binnington, man. I I just think if you're Doug Armstrong and if Laddie changes his tune, I don't know if you can move on from a line that has developed such chemistry together, like the Boston Bruins wouldn't have been traded somebody off of the perfection line. If one of them wasn't happy and then decided that they wanted to stay. So I don't think it's going to happen with Jordan Bennington, but I would say it's more likely him over Vladdy.
5: Yeah, this it's tough. I, I think I'm going to say it's more likely Vladdy. And the reason I, I think that is, I, I think if the Blues do end up splitting up some of these these games, these final five games with Bennington, and you see him play well, I still think Huso's the guy. But I think it could be one of those where it's, okay, Bennington's back to form. He's the bigger contract. Let's keep him on the books. We'll let Huso walk, or we'll try and bring him back for a very team-friendly deal. And we'll move on from Vladdy because it's going to help the case and what Alex said, where he, if you're going to go get a Matthew Kuchuk, he's probably the guy that gets shipped out. So... I think I would say it's more likely it's Vladimir Tarasenko that would be traded than Jordan Bennington. Can
4: I change my answer real quick? I think I'm going to flip this because I do think that if Bennington plays well, they'll look at it and say, we'll find another Husso to back him up and help if we need him to, like a Charlie Lindgren. And I think it's more likely that they view it and say, Vladdy's great, but if we have a legit shot at a Matthew Kachuk, it's worth the trade. So I'm going to flip my answer. I think if they trade
1: for Matthew Kachuk, the more likely player to be included in that is Jordan Kyber. But you can't make it work without moving on Vladdy. Money-wise? Yeah. I think they can, He's, can't they? If he's
4: arbitration. He's going to get over $8 million. Yeah. Because Matthew. He's got one yeah, year of arbitration. Money coming
1: off of the books. They already Not that trade. much.
4: They only got rid of, of Sunquist. You're getting rid of Nick Letty's contract, which is right around what the that Sunquist was. deal was. Perron, if you're bringing him back, you're, I mean you're really not taking off much unless you're moving something out
1: as of now cap space the blues would have about 11 million dollars in cap space projected for next season um they have billy huso is ufa nick letty is a ufa nicola is i think uh kota joshua david perron
4: where's that? Is, is Mikola not one Mm-mm. he's got one more year
1: yep so, oh, Mikko is a UR RFA, excuse yeah. me. So, but Mikul is not going to be getting lot, that so. much. He's the only RFA other than uh, Peruna. So, you
4: figure eleven million dollars if you bring David Perron back. You're probably looking at two, two and a half. If you sign a, go, a backup goaltender and you let Ville walk, it's
1: about a million, about bucks. a million so about bucks, three and a half. So you got about eight.
4: But he's going to get more than that in arbitration for one year. So unless maybe you, it's unless you sign him to if an you extension. You Kyru
1: in it. There's your money. Yeah. Like, I, I don't like it. I, I I said this. I back myself into these stupid corners where I'm the bad guy. <laughs> what else is new? I said that the blues would likely have to trade Oscar Sunquist or Barbashev to be able to make the money work with some of these things that they wanted to accomplish. I'm not saying that to say that I was right. I'm saying that because these are the financial realities of where they're at right now, because to get these good players on the books, it's hard, man. You got to make tough decisions. So this offseason the reason why I say all of that is because I think one of those financially difficult decisions that the Blues are probably going to have to make is trade in Jordan Bennington if they can. I think that if the Blues can get something in return for him, and it allows them to open up the space to make multiple moves, like go out and get a Jacob Chikrin for their blue line and trade also for Matthew Kachuk, for example. I know that's a lot of change that would have to be made. There's a lot of moving parts there. Barbashev's probably included in that. Kairou might have to be included in that. That's the kind of thing that I could see the Blues doing this offseason if they don't go on a cup run. I think all of this changes, though, if they go on a run to the cup. That's where things get really interesting to me is what – what do you do if this current core of guys wins you a cup this
4: might be one of the most intriguing off seasons for doug armstrong depending on what the outcome of the season is because of all of these variables with bennington and huso and vladimir and the possibility of matthew Kachuk, and let's not forget the top left-handed defenseman that they were searching for at the trade deadline and then you've got the young guys that could potentially be a part of your team next year so it's gonna be fascinating
1: 65780 is oh, service tax line this is interesting who do you guys think has more value in a trade? Vladimir Tarasenko or Jordan Kairou? Oh. It's Kairo right? Oh, yeah. It's Kairou. Because of the, control, age, the
5: age, age the yeah. speed
4: that he's got, and okay. he hasn't had three shoulders. And we surgeries. know he'll be
5: better than Vladdy in his prime. So, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's pump the brakes on that one. He's got to catch Vladdy right now. Much less Vladdy. Guys, his prime.
4: guys ESPN's okay, good in the broadcast first last night basically comped Thomas and Tarasenko to Holland Oates. And I'm not saying that I'm right, but I did that before.
1: <laughs> Yours was
4: Kairo Huh? You said a guy no, it was Hoffman and Thomas, and <laughs> the Hoffman thing didn't pay off very well. But hey, I got half of it right. And then of course you know, Hoffman he got became
1: Luchnevich, which has led to this oh. line, and that's really what it all is. Connor Turnbull
4: committed a butler. Did he? Stupid. Why don't you sign with Mizzou, Connor?
1: I think Mizzou gave away his spot yesterday. Oh, well, good for them. To they this should've. guard from uh, from Clemson. Uh final thing here. More likely to hit twenty-five home runs this year. Never thought I'd be asking tools. this question. Don't even say the second one. Not included in this. Oh, Tommy Edmond. <laughs> oh, okay, or Dylan Carlson. Tommy Edmond.
4: What? Tommy Fourbags is mean, what I call three.
1: him. He's,
4: no, got he's got three. three. We're but nine
1: I, games into the season. Saying, he's already, already got three Dylan home runs. How many does Dylan have? It becomes is, a math problem eventually.
4: What? Oh my. God. Oh
1: yeah, we're great at those. Eyes <laughs> an imaginary number. Some uh, of us here like math. What, Not good at it. What did Edmond have last year? Loved it. Don't like it now. Edmund hit, what, like seven last year? It's already up to three. He's halfway there, right. right? He's halfway there, and he's nine games in. It'll, oh, my he gosh. Had he had last 11 last year. 25 he had ele- for
4: Tommy Forbecks. 11
1: and 92 games back in 2019. Is it Tommy Fourbacks? Yeah, it would be Tommy Fourbacks.
5: I'm still going to stick with Dylan Carlson. Yeah, okay. I'm going – I think DC's got more power and pop than Edmund. I think Edmund's just hot right now, and he's – Mashing, so I, I think it's going to end up being Dylan Carlson. I don't, I don't see Tommy Evans having this power outburst that we mashing seem to be thinking. Balls, huh? He's hot yeah. right
1: now and he's mashing. Mashing taters out there. Um, I do like mashed
5: potatoes.
1: For what it's worth, his his exit velocity numbers are oh. excellent.
5: Oh, and what, what are they Edmets.
1: against righties? I can't break it down like that, dude. I don't know. I'm just, just I, say I, I would imagine great. good because he's gone up against mostly righties. Just want you to remember so. that. I'm going to go Dylan Carlson as well. I think it's more likely he hits 25 home runs than Tommy Edmund. I'm not buying into this power surge just yet, although so far his slugging percentage is 745, which keep doubting the man, keep doubting. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, is Tommy Edman buying the Cardinals time when it comes to Nolan Gorman getting up to the big leagues? We'll talk about it here on 101
2: ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tommy Edmond lifts a fly ball into right center, and that ball is down. It's knocked down by Garcia. Pools being waved in all the way from first and the throw is up the line and gets away and albert showing off the wheels love it 4 nothing. cardinals
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyler. That's what it sounded like as our friend Danny Mack was on the call last night for the Cardinals. Tommy Edmond has been awesome so far this year, guys. He has hits in all nine games. He has an RBI in four of his last five. So far this season, he is walking 9% of the time. He once again has a strikeout rate below 15%. He's batting 355 right now. He looks outstanding at the plate. And oh, by the way, it's coming with gold glove defense. And this is all happening with the backdrop. Of Nolan Gorman down in the minors, hitting a home run in five consecutive games for the Cardinals. The chorus from Cardinals fans, Alex, would be growing louder by the day to bring up Nolan Gorman if Tommy Edmund was not hitting right now. Thank God it doesn't rhyme with bring him up today like they did with Randy A. Do you think Tommy Edmund is buying the Cardinals time in terms of the fan base not clamoring for him to be up? Or is it possible Gorman's not even battling with Tommy Edmund for his playing time?
4: I don't think he's battling with Tommy Edmund with the playing time. I I just, I I don't know if they know where they're going to put Nolan Gorman right now with this team. And I understand everyone saying, well, put him at the DH spot. Me personally, I I just feel like the Cardinals view that differently than, than what fans are thinking. Because fans see it as, well, just put your best hitter at the DH position. But it's obviously that's not the case. That's why the Cardinals went out there to get a Corey Dickerson and an Albert Pujols. Now, Pujols is playing much better than Nolan Gorman, but like if this was the case, I truly believe Nolan Gorman would have just been a part of the major leagues, and he would have been hitting DH for them already. I just feel like there's more pressure than what people take into consideration in terms of a young player who has absolutely zero MLB experience that you're just throwing into a DH spot and saying, okay, you're going to hit, and that's it. To whereas you can play defense on top of offense, and you can keep the confidence growing, so I don't know if he's battling with Tommy Edmond. I think he's battling with the fact that the Cardinals' roster is so stacked that there's just no position for him right now.
1: I think he's battling with Albert Poulos and Corey Dickerson. I think those are the guys that are blocking Nolan Gorman right now because Albert having success against Brandon Woodruff opened the eyes to the Cardinals of the possibility that hey maybe maybe there are certain right-handed pitchers that Albert can hit against still. And if that's the case, well, it limits the amount of playing time that a left-handed bench bat slash DH can get. And so that's how you end up with Corey Dickerson being your secondary option there. And you just leave it like that. I think eventually, and I don't know when this is going to happen, guys. It could be a month from now. It could last a while. I think at some point, the Cardinals are going to look at Lars Nupar and they're going to say to themselves, man, he has three at bats so far this year. He's had more pinch running opportunities than he has pinch hitting or at bats in terms of starts so far this year, they're probably going to want hit to send him back down to AAA, not because they think he's doing a bad job, but at some point they need him to get some at, at bats in a live game. So he's the guy that you could option uh, option up and down. And whenever that does happen, it would not surprise me if the guy that gets the call up is Nolan Gorman at that point in time. And then what you do is Corey Dickerson essentially takes the role of Lars Newbar where he's your bench bat from the left side in the outfield. If you need guys to get a day off out there, he could go ahead and do that. If something happens to, for example, and fingers crossed it doesn't, but a Dylan Carlson or a Harrison Bader, you would call back up Lars Newbar and he's gonna be back up in the big leagues. But I think his best opportunity to get extended run with this team is if he comes up for Lars Newport and has opportunities as your left-handed designated hitter. But that's going to take them deciding that Albert Pujols is not going to be playing against righties. That, that's got to be how it happens because you don't bring him up unless—and the Cardinals have always said this— you don't bring up one of those top prospects unless you know they're getting pretty close to everyday at-bats, and that's where they can get them.
4: I think the only way we see him called up at this point is if an injury pops up to somebody where you absolutely need him. Otherwise, it's going to keep him down in Memphis to continue to play, and I think some of this could ride on Paul Young too. If Paul Young begins to struggle, now the hard part is then you also have Edmundo Sosa who's going to get some playing time. This is why I feel like it's more of an internal battle just with himself in terms of... You being young, we not having a spot for you on our roster right now, and when we get to, I mean, it's the same thing that Juan Yepes fell into last season, where the guy was tearing up the minors, there was just no spot for him to play, although there was a lot more clearer of a spot for him last year than what there is right now for Nolan Gorman. I just don't know if the Cardinals view it as terms of, he'll be a DH for us. I think they
1: want him to play the field just as much as they want him to hit. And that's what I don't understand. Because that's not going to change. Like, Tommy Edman is under contracts for multiple seasons in the future, and I think he's your second baseman and, and until he stops hitting. Right now, I think you're fine with what you have because he's a gold glove defender and he's hitting really well. So why would I make a change at second base while he's playing such excellent defense and he's hitting? You look at third base. That's not going to change any in the near future. You've got, what, five, six years left with uh, Nolan uh, Arenado over there at third? I think your future first baseman is very likely going to be Jordan Walker. So what's the spot for Nolan Gorman? I don't see an outfield spot coming up in any time in the near future at some point, And this doesn't have to happen now. I'm not saying there needs to be any urgency because there is no not a quote unquote need right now for him on the big league club. I'm more than well, more than happy to watch him continue to hit down at AAA, to continue to gain some more confidence. He's got a strikeout rate that is pretty high right now, and I would like to see him get that maybe a little bit more under control. But eventually, I do think his future at the Big League Club is going to be mostly as a designated hitter. He can get some spot starts at third. He can spot start him at, at second base as well. No issues with that whatsoever. But I think the majority of his at-bats are probably con- going to come as a DH. Alex, we mentioned this before the show. Maybe the next thing you do with Gorman down in AAA is you get him more of those opportunities as your designated hitter there. And you let him find out, Okay, how do you adjust to this? Because we talked about this with Kylie McDaniel. There is definitely an adjustment. It changes things. We talked about it with Corey Dickerson a couple of weeks ago whenever he joined us on the show. He said, hey, listen, that first year that I was a DH, it was hard for me because I didn't feel like I could help the team in any way other than when I got up there and took my three or four at bats. And that's just a really lonely feeling to have. So I can understand totally why they would want to get him ingrained in that role in the lower level as opposed to here at the big leagues. But at some point, you're going to have to do that. And you're going to have to maybe give up on the notion that he's going to be your everyday second baseman. Because as I look at the team, at least from the outside looking in, I don't think that's going to be the case.
4: I think the hard part for Nolan Gorman is going to be that mental aspect of it. And you're right. Maybe it works in Memphis, but I still think there's a big jump from being a DH for AAA to being a DH at the majors. Agreed. Especially when you have an Albert Pujol sitting in the dugout who could be hitting there or a Corey Dickerson or a Lars Newt bar. There's just so much pressure on a guy who, what is he, 21, 22 years old? He's 21. That you'd be saying, we need you to be our DH. And it's not just the DH because you could be a DH in the 7 hole and just they want you to just do your thing. But you're right now looking at it as be a DH in the 5 or 6 spot. And when you're not performing or when you're striking out as the DH in that spot, you go sit in the dugout for three innings and wait until your next spot comes up. Albert Pujols can do that. I don't know if Nolan Gorman can do that.
5: And the other thing too, and I thought BK made a good point. Some point they may just have to give up on the notion if he's going to be a guy that's going to play as your everyday second baseman. I mean, right now, Tommy Yedman has done an adequate job in replacing Colton Wong. Would you have ever, if you had a it's prospect like this? Adequate job. If you had a prospect like this, would you have ever considered replacing Colton Wong at second base when Colton Wong was here at his time here in St. Louis? I don't think you would have because of what his glove brought to the team, and he was a leadoff hitter. For you know, Edmund's not a leadoff hitter; he's more of a six-seven guy. But uh, if that's the case, you're going to look at it. How much defense are you willing to sacrifice for more offense? Uh, if this team continues to hit the way they are without Nolan Gorman, I don't know how much I'm will. I don't know if I'm willing to sacrifice that, but. If the offense goes cold and starts to dry up a little bit, and we're talking about, hey, they're not getting that production from that 5-7 through seven spot, then sure. Then maybe I start to have that conversation of him being an everyday second baseman and getting those at-bats there. If not, then yeah, DH is probably the best suited place for him. And honestly, I know we said, thinking really big picture here, Of you mentioned Jordan Walker, his future probably first base. Honestly, if Paul Goldschmidt still wants to be around and he's still hitting, he's probably a future designated hitter for you as well. So then you're even drying up that potential spot. But that's down the road, of course, for yeah, Nolan Gorman. I mean,
4: do- do, do people need to start opening up the possibility of Nolan Gorman possibly being a trade piece for you to upgrade your pitching staff?
1: I mean, I, 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 think, I think the question there is, what do you see him being for you as the Cardinals? Because th- this is something that the Cardinals have run into in the past, where they've had guys that kind of sit down in AAA for an extended period of time, especially outfielders. And there's just no runway for them. Right. That's the way that John Mosaylock has termed this in the past. And they just sit there and they sit there and they sit there and then eventually they lose all of their value in trade because they don't really have that same prospect status as they once did. And now you deal them away for less than maybe what they would otherwise be worth. And you didn't yourself find out what they could do at the big league level. We're not there yet with Nolan Gorman. This is the other thing that I think people need to keep in mind. Nolan Gorman is 21 years old. As you mentioned, Alex, he's still unbelievably young and raw as both a position player defensively and as a hitter. His strikeout rate is what, about 35% right now down in AAA. I know those home run numbers are what everybody looks at. The strikeouts are also part of this. And you look at some of the other top prospects around baseball. Jeff Passon wrote about this earlier today. I think four of the top 10 prospects in baseball are up right now. All of those four that I just mentioned are hitting below 200 to start out the season. It's been a rough go of it. It's very possible you see something like that with Nolan Gorman. And to your point, Alex, about the DH situation, if he's doing that, you're probably going to have to send him back down. You got to be okay with that. Or are you going to stick with him? Let him take his lumps when you have an alternative there with Corey Dickerson or you're paying five million dollars to if Nolan Gorman's here, basically sit on the bench. It's just there's a lot of different moving pieces that could go into this. I think the number one thing we're getting texted, though, guys, is about the shortstop situation and how the Cardinals could move Tommy Edmond to short. I'm going to say what's probably an unpopular opinion. I think Paul DeYoung's been pretty good so far. I know the numbers don't necessarily follow in line with that. They are more in line with what he's been the last few years. He's batting 185 right now. He's got a 685 OPS. That's not going to jump off the page to anybody. I think he looks good at the plate. I think he looks way more in control when he's up there. He's not swinging wildly. His barrel rate's really high. He's walking more than he has at any point over the last few years. He's not chasing stuff. He's been great defensively so far for them this year. If you move Tommy Edmond at short, first of all, you get worse defensively there. And also you get worse defensively at second. And with this pitching staff, that's a big problem because they're pitching to contact. That's not a move I would make yet. A year from now, maybe, sure, we can talk about that. But right now, I'm not willing to make that move.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I haven't been like overly, overly excited with Paul DeYoung, but it's not like I've been sitting here thinking, wow, ah, he's been awful. I mean, he's been okay for you. He's not hurting your team because you have offense that is helping out elsewhere. But, I mean, call me crazy here, Tommy Edmund is third on the depth chart in terms of shortstop because if Paul DeYoung starts to struggle, Edmundo Sos is playing in that position, and he rightfully earned yeah. that for what he did last year. So you're not moving Tommy the Cardinals or any major league baseball team is not just going to move a position player to a spot that he's un not uncomfortable but unfamiliar with in terms of the major league experience, just so they can get a guy who has no major league experience to play a position that his or that
1: it's it's his secondary position. It reminds me of the conversation about Tyler O'Neill last year in center field, where we all think he could do it, and the Cardinals are like, "Uh, uh-uh, nope. We'd rather call up." Uh, Hurst Scotty Hurst to play center field and have uh, Tyler O'Neill well. be out there hey, like they, they just they I don't think the coach. Cardinals view Tommy Edmund as a shortstop I think they viewed him as a third baseman at first yeah I don't think he had the arm to do that and now he's an excellent second baseman it's okay to just be really good at a position and that's what Tommy Edmund is right now he's excellent at second base your shortstop options for this year are Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung don't gotta love him but those are your options if Nolan Gorman is going to play in the field, it's probably at second base and it will come at the expense of Tommy Edman. And I think that his most likely outcome is he's a DH for this team, not just for now, but I think for the next few years, I think that's where you're going to get the most out of Nolan Gorman. So I'm fascinated to see what they decide to do here. The obvious answer that a lot of baseball people would tell you is this thing tends to work itself out and there will probably be an injury, but they also and have another option outfield. at short. They have another option at second with Edmundo Sosa. It's, it's not going to get a whole lot more clear for a little while. I don't think I expect him up, by the way, for the next month or so.
4: Two texts from Despite the 618. Paul DeYoung to BK is Colton Pareco to Ferrario. <laughs> from the 636, I think this below average hitter who is yielding zero results looks good. Juice Boy
1: coming up in 15 (laughs) minutes. We'll talk to Billy Jaffe of NHL Network. Want to get his thoughts on last night's game between the Blues and the Bruins? But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101
2: ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve It
5: checking account today.
1: What's your favorite
4: scary movie? Com. Close. Oh, you're damn. close.
1: You're right on the, Come on, you're man. On the right
4: path. Scream. By the way, not my favorite scary movie. That's what it was from. One of my favorite scary movies. On with your question.
1: What's your favorite romantic comedy of the last however long? Just there, There's no time frame here. I, I just kept on saying stuff. Scarface. Favorite rom-com? <laughs> Is <that> a
4: rom-com? <laughs> no. I don't know many rom- rom- rom-coms. Uh, yeah. T-Bone doesn't watch a lot of rom-coms. I, I, wonder, I wonder why.
5: Frank, um, I'm just going to go on a limb and say it's because I'm single.
4: Probably. Boy, I don't know. Can you give me some lists? Like, I, I'm thinking of them, but I don't know if they're
1: considered rom-coms or just comedies. So the reason I bring this up is because over on The Ringer, it is rom-com week. and Rom-com they, week. They ranked their 50 greatest rom-coms Terrible week. ever. What do you mean? It's a great week. I have a confession. Crazy Stupid Love's a good one. You've seen That's a lot a good of them? One. I have Carell. never seen the number one movie on this list. Have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Oh, yeah. It's Tom Hanks and... Um, Meg Ryan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. I've never seen it. Makes you cry. I have have heard great things about the movie. Never once have I seen it. Is Jerry Maguire on that list? Jerry Maguire is in the top 10. Is that number five? That's a great one. The top 10. Number one, 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 when Harry met Sally. Let me see if I
4: can guess these. Okay. Let us see if I can guess these. So Harry met Sally's top 10. Jerry Maguire's top 10. The Notebook's got to be top 10. It is
5: not. What? I don't think that's a rom-com, is it? Oh, yeah. I guess
4: that's not a comedy. (laughs)
2: You Unless you like people like, dying at the I end of it, I guess sad, that's not a wrong sad
4: romantic thing. Ha- oh,
1: spoiler alert. Oh, oh it's oh. a happy film. Come on. You've Got Mail, is that on there? It is. That's a good one. Crazy Stupid Love? You've Got Mail is number three on this list. Okay. Crazy Stupid Love? Number 35. Oh, that's terrible. Um, Come on, T-Bone, help a brother out over here.
5: Dude, not my category. Uh, phone another friend. Forget- By the way,
1: Billy Crystal, not Tom Hanks in When Harry Met Sally. Oh, I was thinking. Tom Hanks is you have never mail. seen
4: it. Oh, that's, that makes sense. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall? I think we talked it, about that yesterday. in the top 10. is at number 10. Nice. And then Knocked Up. Knocked Up on there? Ooh, I don't know. Also, Life As We Know It. There's probably another knocked one. Knocked Up though. is at 39 oh, on this list. Life As We Know It. Is
1: that on there? I don't know any more of them. Go ahead and list them off life as we know it is not on this list uh if you want to know the top 10 alex made me go all the way somebody called me
4: somebody called me an uncultured swine for (laughs) not knowing that it was billy crystal i'm sorry
1: i get my rom-coms mixed top 10 number one when harry met sally number two pretty woman number three you've got mail number four is clueless i'm surprised you didn't guess clueless i've only seen that once overrated Interesting. Full take. Number five, Jerry Maguire. Number six, Notting Hill, which is a good one. Never seen that. Number seven, Sleepless in Seattle. That's the one you were thinking of with Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks, I would Nick imagine. Ryan. Number eight, My Best Friend's Wedding. Never seen that one. Can't speak to it. Number nine, Wedding Singer. Not a big fan of The Wedding Singer, personally. Yeah, it's honestly, it's probably one of his worst movies. And number 10, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Okay. One, in my opinion, of the most overrated movies in the history of movies is 500 days of summer it came never in at it. number 50 on this list never watch it never it's saw Kara's it. favorite movie it is the worst movie that has ever been created all right you would hate the movie it your is. wife loves so bad the proposal way underrated on this finding nemo it's a good rom-com
5: <laughs> i've seen that one
1: the proposal somehow didn't even make the top 50 toy story 2 that's another. a
5: tremendous
4: movie and i don't care what it is. toy story does. 2 another great rom-com between woody and jesse Toy Story 4,
1: fantastic rom I
4: don't think there was a rom- Oh, yeah, Woody and ben, uh Spoiler Peach. alert. No, Coming Peach, up in 15 Mario. minutes, did Kofi Coburn
1: make the right choice? Tanner has some choice words for him. Whoa. But next, Billy Jaffe of NHL Network joins the show here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Billy Jaffe, the NHL analyst for NHL Network. He joins us right now on BK and Ferrario. Billy, we appreciate the time as always, man. What'd you think about the game last night between the Bruins and the Blues?
6: Uh, Well, I got a a few different takes on it. Considering I do a lot of work with the Bruins, I also do a lot of work with NHL Network, and I just love watching hockey from a hockey perspective. I thought the Blues were good. I didn't think they were great in this game, and I do think a lot of credit should go to the Bruins. I thought that they were much sharper than they were, especially in the D zone and the neutral zone. I mean, you limit a team like the Blues to just 22 shots, not bad. Not a, not a bad night. And now the Blues might say, well, you know, we weren't at our best. I mean, it's one of 82. Um, but, I, uh, you know, I, I, when I say I enjoyed watching it, I, I just like when those two teams get together, fellas. I just do. I mean, it's 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 usually entertaining, uh, energetic, hockey. I am very impressed with how the Blues have become a puck-moving team. I mean, holy smokes, do they uh, whip the puck around, zip it around beautifully in the ozone, a lot of uh, east-west-type movement. And um, I'm curious to see how this team does the rest of the way, given that, you know, it's a confident team led by Craig Berube, but, you know, you've got a goaltender who's been awesome in Huso. But this is going to be the biggest ask of his young in terms of games played career coming up in the playoffs.
4: Is that the biggest question for you, Billy, going into these playoffs for the Blues? Because you guys did a really fun segment yesterday on NHL Network, Cup or Cap, and you and Kevin Weeks both said that this team has all of the makings of the Cup, but it does seem like a lot of people still have their their, uh, their, their holdups about the goaltending.
6: And, and when I say rightfully so, uh, that doesn't mean that that everybody self included doubting Ville huso it's the unknown of Ville huso however you guys experienced it a couple of years ago with the unknown of Jordan Bennington and he more than did his fair share or his part in leading the the team or helping lead the team to that game seven victory over the Bruins yeah I do think that that's the biggest question mark i I, I do I mean yep yeah, the other one and think let me rethink it for a sec is the the defense around the net you know I, I feel like they're a good puck-moving D. I love, you know, the, the Letty and the, and the Falk and the, obviously the Tory crew, but can you get the Leafs, uh, the, can you get the Blues to play behind their own net? It's similar to uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, they can score, 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 but if you can force them to have to play behind their own net, I think you can create some things, and we saw the Bruins uh, create off of that, and, um, you know, it, it's not nitpicking, it's just analyzing them, but I do think that from a... A, uh, a roster, I mean, perspective, I guess Ville, who will be the big question. The good news is, is that you can always turn to Jordan Bennington. If Ville doesn't perform to the level you need him to, uh, the question is which Jordan Bennington are you going to get?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that inspires a ton of confidence for a certain segment of fans, at least here in St. Louis either, unfortunately. Uh, We're talking with Billy Jaffe of NHL Network here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Billy, I wanted to get your thoughts on what is almost certainly at this point, I think mathematically it's it's actually locked in. The Blues versus Mm -hmm. the Wild are going to be the first round matchup in this central division. How do you assess that series? How do you think the Wild and the Blues (laughs) match up with one another?
6: Well, I mean, you've seen it the last couple of weeks, right? You've seen it firsthand. They've had what two matchups? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like it was, I think it was three games ago now for the the, the Blues and the Wild. They played in that fun uh, overtime game, six five, and then I believe it was a week prior when they played again and they went extra time. Um, how do I assess it? I mean, you look at statistics and you say they're pretty similar. I do think that the Blues have an advantage with regard to overall. You know, offense, and you see how their power play and their PK um, is better. However, you got to look at the aforementioned goaltending question. And I I mean, how do you not give the nod to Marc Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot with how well that they've played? Um, The physical nature of the series is going to be very interesting as Minnesota has bulked up significantly with the additions of, you know, the Middleton. They already have. Uh, Felino there. They added DeLaurier. I think, I, I just think that was a glorious pickup Nick DeLaurier for anybody. I was thinking a bunch of teams would have re in on him. And I thought it was a, a masterful move by Billy Guerin, uh picking him up just for the, the depth and the physical presence of him. Um, you know, could that be something again, I go back to getting the puck deep into the zone against St. Louis and forcing those D to turn and have to play along the wall. Could that be an advantage for Minnesota? Sure. Maybe. I mean, it's an easy kind of a easy escape answer here, fellas. I look at it for it to be a very long series, and my guess, my 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 guess is the advantage of special teams will go to you know to St. Louis, but the other big one is goaltending. If that goes to many, then that could carry him through as well. Billy, how important?
4: Is it going to be in terms of guys taking their game to the next level, and that's where it comes down to playoff experience for me. And you know, you saw Tory Krug in his years with Boston step his game up to the next level, and you saw the Blues players step their game up to the next level. Is that critical for a team at this time of the year to have that experience and be playing the right way?
6: Two million percent accurate. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you're you've seen some pretty electric years uh, from from guys in, in St. Louis. I mean, you know, look, Terrasenko to me has been a real, I mean, he's, you know, to think about how the year started or, you know what I mean? How, where, where he wanted out to where he is. He's been great. And I look at him as so confident and I look for him to elevate his game more. I think the question comes down to, for game elevation uh, to a guy like Robert Thomas, who was so silky. Oh my gosh. Was that, that it was a tip. It, it was almost like he grabbed the puck coming across, I, I did like that. That was one replay that thankfully the, the uh, ESPN got in last night, where he brought came his body across and he just grabbed the puck. It like with his stick and redirected it by Jeremy Swaim. just loved that play. But he's been spectacular lately. You know, can he elevate to that that next level, the nth degree for for the Stanley Cup playoffs? I think he can. What happens to a guy like Jordan Cairo? Can Barbashev? And I think Barbashev can. You know, given that his game is probably more tailored to playoffs, even than regular season. He's been given more of an offensive role this year, but, you know, he's going to have to continue to bring it to that level. I I, I look at this team, and, and it's very veteran. It really is. And I think that they understand the importance of what you just brought up, the importance to bring it to another level. And I do think they have it in them.
4: One more from me, Billy, and I'm just curious on your on the offensive side of the game because everyone is talking about this Blues team that since March 28th have been averaging nearly five goals per game. Now that didn't show up against the Boston Bruins and they lost in overtime, but you've seen plenty of playoff hockey. Is it important to have this offense or do you think that we need to see a little bit more defensive style from this team in these final six games in the regular season?
6: Well, I mean, it's not like they're saying we're, we're going to go out and not defend and just score what they're doing is they're getting the puck and then their skill is taken over and their you know, their work ethic and they're, and they're scoring some, you know, some great goals, a great amount of goals. Um, this is a big question that we've had uh, about the Florida Panthers, right? You know, can they outscore some, you know, of their defensive lapses? And I do think that, you know, I don't think, I don't know if it's as much of a question for St. Louis, but I, I also think the experience that they have you know, having won it, many of these players being on the roster, and having a guy in Craig Berube who's been there, done that. I don't. I, I don't think they're looking past playing defense. I do think that they're going to have to really, like, look like anything, limit the amount of time that they have to turn, play facing the wall, and they and, You know, and, and that was one of the things that they did so beautifully against the Bruins. It was like feast or famine. Now, if you guys remember, a couple of years ago, when they were able to shut down the Bruins from like the dots or the. You know, the top of the circle's in their own zone, up with their length and their physical play. I mean, the Bruins, that's how they beat them. And when they did it, when the Bruins got behind them and forced them to turn and the Bruins got their, their, their game going, that's when St. Louis had a hard time. I don't look at that as this is that different right now, guys. Yes, they're missing Petrangelo. That's a big miss. I get it. I, I do get it. But you got to hope that some other guys step up.
1: Billy, final question that I've got for you, and he's Billy Jaffe of NHL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at B Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E. Billy, if I told you right now, I've got my, my, uh, my magic eight ball, the blues are going to be in the Stanley cup as a hockey fan. What is the matchup that you would want to see from the Eastern conference?
3: Well, selfishly, I'd love the Bruins <laughs> <of> the <laughs> <internet>. <laughs>
5: That's fair. Bruins and Blue Actually, perfect. Perfect.
6: That non-Bruins <laughs> edition. <laughs> okay. I mean, selfishly, I'd love that and for many reasons, and I think that would just be uh, fun as all heck again, um, you know, for the rematch of that, the, that last full season Stanley Cup. How, how, I guess, appropriate but also weird would that be if that were to happen again, um, if that was to happen I guess if I had to pick another team just from the offensive side of things, you know, the way the blues are playing, I, I I'll take the Florida Panthers. I mean, why not? Right. I, I mean, with, with what they're doing, it's been crazy. And look I Florida is you're right up there for the president's trophy. I'm not convinced though about Sergei Bobrovsky there comes last time, despite the fact the team has won 11 in a row. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that I'd be willing to bet everything in my pocket, which probably is nothing right now, mm-hmm. but you know, on them, but I mean that would be fun. Um, a Rangers series would be fun. The kid Shosturkin. I don't know how much you've seen him play. He's been outstanding in net this year. They've really, uh, I, I thought they did a beautiful job of developing their team in season this year, using the trade deadline. A lot of fun there. Uh, a lot of uh, in, a, in a strong way there, and it's been a lot of fun watching that team. I mean, I mean from crystal balling it, I would, you know, fun stuff. I'd say those two teams, but really, why not put the Bruins in it too? I mean, it's going to be a big ask. The Bruins look. It, the Bruins need to get Hampus Lindholm back in the lineup and David Postradok back in the lineup and and Lena Solmark, their goaltender that got hit square in the face the other day with a heavy duty shot a couple of games ago. Um, If they get those guys back and they remain healthy, well, you know, why not? A lot of teams fear the Bruins, but it's going to be a tall ass for them to get back to the cup.
1: You can watch NHL network analyst, Billy Jaffe on NHL now throughout the regular season, including today, coming up at three o'clock central, Billy, thanks so much for the time as always, man. Hopefully we do get that blues versus Bruins matchup. That'd be incredible. Uh, That's one of my, my favorites that I would (laughs) like to see as well. If we do, we'll definitely be talking with you again soon,
6: my man. All right, we'll be a lot of fun. Thanks right. we'll be Billy. a real lot of fun. Thanks.
1: Yep. You got it. That's Billy Jaffe joining us here on 101 ESPN. You. We, we
4: got to tie. I love it when we get people on from the other side. This text from the 636. It was his first answer after the game or if the game last night, he, the 636 goes, he's right,
1: but f this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he then he then follow that up with uh, go back to Boston. No, it's back to Boston. All right, I don't have a Boston accent that I no, can get. No, but you got to. a country I've got a Texas one but How I don't do you have, have a Boston accent, but you don't ranch. have
2: a back to
1: Boston. He then finished it up with, "Honestly, this guy's pretty reasonable." <laughs> <laughs> it starts with, "Honestly, he's right, but blank this guy too. Okay, this guy's pretty reasonable." I love it. I, oh, I awesome. absolutely love it. Uh last night's game was a lot of fun. I had the same I had the same feeling coming off of the Blues versus the Rangers game as I did last night coming off of that game. Both of those individual moments, I was like, yeah, that would be a really cool playoff series. And obviously the only way you could get that is if they reach the Stanley Cup. But Blues versus Boston would be physical as hell. It would be a hell of a lot of fun. Who would have a tougher path? To a stand, like if you were oh, looking
4: man. at those two teams of going to the Stanley Cup final, who would have a tougher path? So, as it would stand right now, Boston would have to beat Carolina in the first round, and then more than likely, if they reseed it, you're probably taking on the winner of Toronto or Tampa. Are they
1: they, they don't reseed, right? Don't we just move forward?
5: Why are you staring at me? <laughs>
1: Maybe you're right. Maybe they did. <laughs> I was like, wait a
5: second. What, so, what did I miss? I don't so, think they received. The so if it's The Bruins would play
1: Carolina and then either the Rangers or the Penguins as things stand today. Yeah. And then Man, obviously that,
4: the winner of that is Br- Florida and Tampa or Toronto. Yeah, good luck. Or would you rather have behind door number two of Minnesota,
1: probably Colorado, and oh, then probably, probably Calgary. Calgary? I think I would rather have the Blues I path. I would rather have the Blues path as well. I know that sounds crazy, but... I think the Hurricanes are the best team It's going
4: to be more physical. The
1: the team that I don't want to see if I'm a Blues fan is Carolina. I have no interest
4: in playing that team. The team team that's going to be more hurt is coming out of the Western Conference after three rounds of that. But the team that's going to be more confident is going to be the team coming out of the Western Conference after three rounds of that, in my opinion. It's just a
1: totally different style of going up against teams. And I, I just think that like, I would rather play Colorado than Carolina. And the Bruins have to face Carolina in the first round
4: I, I, I'm as with of you. now. I'm with you, though. I'd rather play Colorado over Carolina because I don't I don't trust. Although, let's be real. Carolina's goaltender is great. But Carolina's goaltender is also the goaltender that couldn't win a series for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Frederick Anderson. There's there. Unless you have Andre Vasilevsky, there is absolutely zero confidence in a goaltender going into the playoffs right now. I but feel Greatville is Sergei Bobrowski. As he just mentioned. Uh, I mean, he has struggled in the past in postseason play. I mean, if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, Tristan I Jari. in
1: New York. Like, if, if I'm, New- can, I, I'm. I'm pretty confident. I don't know how my team's going to respond, but I'm pretty confident that my goalie's going to play well. Absolutely. But it's also a guy with inexperience. Tristan
4: Jari's played very well for Pittsburgh, but you don't think they're looking at that going, uh, okay, but we got lack of playoff experience. It, nobody in the Western Conference should be confident in their goaltender going into the playoffs. confidence in Markstrom. No way. Markstrom was the guy that choked for Vancouver in the second round after the bubble play.
1: Yeah, but he, he beat hasn't been the there hell since. he out of the Blues.
4: No, he didn't. The Blues beat them. And the two times that the Blues faced
1: Calgary this season, the Blues scored like... Uh, no, I'm talking about when they were in the playoffs. It was, it was a like, different team, man. What? It was a different team, man. <laughs> it's a team stat. I, I did not enjoy it, it, going up against him at all. There
4: really should not be a confident team in the Western Conference in their goaltenders right now. Like, you think Edmonton's feeling good about Mike Smith? Well, no. Going into the playoffs, no. Calgary with Markstrom, maybe. I don't know if Minnesota's confident if they're matching up with the Blues with Talbot
1: or Flurry. Dude, it's so infuriating because I, I think that what's going to happen is... The same way I felt about the Cardinals going into the playoffs, where I was like, man, if they can just beat the Dodgers, they're going to have a real shot to be able to make it to the World Series. I'm going to feel that exact same way about this Blues versus Wild Series. Oh, I can see, already feel it. I didn't Because feel they're like the, the Blue... two hottest teams in, in hockey right
4: now. Yeah, but I didn't feel like the Cardinals could, I didn't think there was a chance the Cardinals could do that with the Dodgers. I legitimately. You did,
1: right, Tanner? Yeah. I, I, I still, I to this day believe if the Cardinals beat the Dodgers oh, in the no, Wild no, no, no. Card game, I think they were going to win the World I'm Series. I'm with you there. I really do. I just do.
4: didn't have any faith that they could beat the Dodgers, because that was a did. tough ass I get it that they almost did, but I'm going into this series with full faith that I think the Blues can take down Minnesota. I don't think it goes seven games. I, I have full faith that I think the Blues match up better against this Minnesota Is Wild that team. why you brought
5: your broom today? No, I did not bring
4: a No, don't you put that Blues BKO three magic three, on according me? According to Alex Ferrario, you can't do
5: it in three. Is
1: Mizzou an example of how quickly a team can uh, can get better in the transfer era? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN.
2: Come to the garden. Hey, we got Come to, to, the, to the, the garden. We, I we, dare you. I dare you. Meet up with me, Sanford.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You were supposed to hear Dennis <laughs> Gates coming back from break.
4: The way that he said it, too. Was, <laughs> Tanner
1: let us know,
5: I didn't have it ready. Here we go. You got to own up to your mistakes, right. guys. Hey, let's hear from Dennis Gates, everybody.
3: You have the opportunity to uh, be- rebuild your roster with older kids, older student athletes, and not just freshmen. I feel bad for the freshmen in high school that are getting under-evaluated and the opportunities are, are are sort of pushed to the back because the portal is more important now more than ever.
5: It's a good take.
1: That was Dennis Gates, we should have heard on the return. Right of the after he got the meeting. job at the University of Missouri, my Tigers. M I Z, right here on 101 ESPN, Z-O-U. Mizzou's an example of the new version of college basketball, Alex. It used to be the Kentuckys of the World, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas. They would recruit all of this five-star talent and they would assemble it on the fly, right? You would see them in that champions classic on the opening night tip-off, and it'd be like, ooh, you can see the talent, but man, this is not a team yet. And it would take a couple of months, really, until they got into midway through, typically, of conference play. And you would be like, OK, it's starting to come together. And they would always end up as a one or a two seed. And then you find out what it looks like in the tournament. It's changed now. Teams are, are able to reassemble their talent quickly, but in a different way. And you can do it not just at a blue blood place like a Kentucky KU Duke. Now you can also do that at Missouri, and that's what Dennis Gates is trying to accomplish right now. He's already secured commitments from seven transfers since he took the job, five of whom came from Division I programs. The only players who finished last year on Missouri who are still on the roster today are Kobe Brown, Amari Davis, Boogie Coleman, Ronnie DeGray, and Caleb Brown. That's five of the 13 players that were on the roster as of three months ago that are still there. Man, this is the way forward, and I don't have to like it. Frankly, I don't like it. I prefer to be able to build a program with freshman recruits, and then you see what they look like over time. You get to know them a little bit more as people and as players, but – this is the way forward. And I respect the hell out of the fact that Dennis Gates is willing to play the game that he's got in front of him.
4: And he showed success with it already. I mean, when you talk about, what is it? Two of the top Juco transfers that he was able to um, have a, a commit to Mizzou. And then on top of it, you're kind of building that behind the scenes roster in terms of the bench players and looking ahead to the, like, this is exactly what the new look of college basketball is. And For some, it's frustrating because, you know, like in Illinois with Corbello, who looked like it was their point guard, and then he opts to go to the transfer portal. I know the Missouri Tigers have been struck by it over the last
1: couple of seasons. Trevon Brazil, they they got both the benefit and the loss of it. Trevon Brazil was one of the top 20 20 transfer prospects in the portal this year. He played for Mizzou last year. He was an under-recruited guy. They developed him, and now he's down at Arkansas as a result
4: but that's why I'm actually pretty high on this team in terms of moving forward. Now I know I said earlier, I don't see them as a tournament team this year, but I do believe there'll be a tournament team within two or three years of Dennis Gates because of this right here. He's already shown the commitment. Apparently from what we've heard, he's been on the phones nonstop, which you would expect from a coach, but he's getting success with this right now. It's the same reason why we got so excited about Eli Drinkwitz because you started to see the success right away. You're seeing it with Dennis Gates, but now it comes down to the actual on court product because Conzo was able to at least recruit somewhat, but then the product on the court didn't show what he was able to do in the transfer.
5: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out because this is the way to build in college basketball, and I'm with you, BK. I'm not necessarily that big a fan of of the way that you can just rebuild a program this way. I, I like when you recruit the freshman in, and then you kind of develop them like you were saying. It will be interesting, though, to see how Dennis Gates does, though, because didn't Conzo basically do this, yep. attempt this last year where it was, okay, we're going to go get a bunch of transfers and we'll see how we do. And then you look at the team last year; ultimately ended up to Kanzo's demise. He ends up being fired from the team because of it. So we'll see if he's able to. And look, Kanzo just happened to flop on a lot of guys. It just it just didn't work out that he was able to bring in. Well, it didn't. We'll see if the Gates works out. the problem was the
1: roster construction. It wasn't even necessarily the guys that he got. It was the construction of the roster. He didn't have any shooting. He didn't have a center. He didn't have a point guard. And that's a problem. They were just a fast team. They they had a bunch of dudes that were between like 6'3 and 6'7 that all did something that was pretty similar. None of them were great ball handlers. None of them were great passers. None of of them were great shooters. And when you have that kind of a roster, it's just not going to work. Now, that collection of talent individually on other rosters, it might work. But together, it just it never came together. And that's something that has really impressed me so far about the way that Gates has gone about it. Tanner, to your point, he's gone out and he's already acquired two point guards. One was with Clemson last year. He's not a super flashy player, but he's a pretty good defensive player. And he 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 basically keeps the trains on schedule. He's going to make sure that guys are in the right places at the right time. He's the consummate like veteran guard that you see that people talk about once you get into tournament time. I don't know that Mizzou going to get there, but he's the type of player that can help you out in a big game and a big moment. And then they got this Juco point guard who was rated as the top point guard in the country this year in the Juco ranks. That's huge. That's what they were missing. And they got the top rated forward in Juco as well. Who's the rim runner. He's pretty athletic. He's like six ten. Those are the kinds of players that they were missing a year ago.
5: The credit to Gates is he's decided, okay, here's what I want to do, and we'll go and get the guys that are going to fit the system. Unlike what I think, what Konzo's plan was, I'm just going to get the best talent that I think I can recruit here to yep. Missouri, and then I'll see if I can make it work. And he didn't have really a game plan for it, so then you bring all these pieces in, you go. Ooh, we're missing either a couple pieces to the puzzle or we have the wrong piece for the puzzle and it's not going to end up working out. And that's where it went wrong for Konzo. Tanner,
1: the big news today on the Illini side of things is that Kofi Coburn is officially going to be entering the draft. There's no going back this time around. He's already tried to enter twice, uh, decided to come back to school both times around. The third time through, they say, uh-uh, you got to actually go this time. He's hired an agent. He is officially going to go through the NBA draft process. Kofi, Kofi, Kofi. What was your coffee. reaction when you saw this when you woke up this morning?
5: Uh, I was a little bit stunned by it because I, I thought that he would stay stick around. I did not know about the rule until this morning when I was reading up on it that if he enters a third time, he has to go through the process and he cannot come back. Uh, so I was a little stunned to see him go because I, he's not a projected draft pick in any mock draft that I've seen. And I've looked around to see if I can find one that has him sneaking into the second round. And everybody does not have him in there as a top 60 prospect in the in the NBA draft. So to see him leave when he could get some NIL deals in Illinois, make some money, probably not what he might make it at uh, the NBA level if he ends up reaching it. But I, I was stunned. I, I think he could have came back. I had seen – the reason I thought that was because I had seen those early drafts for 2023 and Kofi was a guy that was in that second round projection range. So I thought maybe he would come back for one final year. There's a really good roster that Brad Underwood has built at the for the Illinois program for next year. He was going to have a, another star point guard that's coming in as a freshman. I was a little stunned to see him enter the NBA draft where I don't think he's going to get drafted. His best route is probably going to be if he wants to play in the NBA to sign as an undrafted free agent, go play in the summer league, and then hopefully get a G League contract or end up going overseas and playing somewhere else. Yeah,
1: and for what it's worth, the G League, I just looked this up because I was curious. The average NBA G League salary is $35,000 per season. The maximum is $50,000. With NIL, I can guarantee he would have made more than that at Illinois next year. I can promise you he would have been offered more to stay at Illinois. So this was not a money play. This is a he's betting on himself. He he believes that he's going to be able to make a roster in the NBA next year. Frankly, I agree with him. I think there's a place for Kofi Coburn in the NBA. I don't know that he'll be drafted, but I do think that he's a guy that will latch on somewhere and will ultimately make it in the league. Coming up in a 15 minutes or so, we'll give you your chance to win a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser bash for Cardinals versus Mets. But Alex believes that he has figured out what the pivotal line will be for the Blues in the playoffs. We'll tell you who that is coming up here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: and shin line the pivotal line for the blues once they get into the playoffs because they're awesome it's a good starting point all right coming up
4: next bk and ferrario rewind no okay no i was thinking of this last night and i mentioned this to curbs earlier on the show which by the way if you missed that great interview that we did with him you can check it out on the podcast page afterwards 101 espn.com presented by dobbs tire and auto centers
5: cha-ching!
4: you can also download the free 101 espn app and listen to it there cha-ching! oh wait there was no ching there anyway I like hypothetically, you're looking at the matchup against the Minnesota Wild and it all comes down to mismatches and how you're going to stack your lines up. And I was watching it last night against the Boston Bruins and Craig Berube. He gets the last change. Ryan O'Reilly was up against the Patrice Bergeron line, arguably their best offensive line. They had zero points in that game. Two shots on goal. The Robert Thomas line, that is the hottest line right now in the National Hockey League. They matched up against the Taylor Hall line, which or I'm sorry, the Eric Howell line, which I believe that's Boston's one of their better defensive lines. That's what it's going to look like against Minnesota in a best of seven series. The Joel Erickson Eck line, the grief line that they call with Greenway and Felino, that's their best defensive line. They're going to go up against Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich and Vladimir Tarasenko. The Kirill Kaprizov line with Ryan Hartman, the last two times that those two teams played against each other, Ryan O'Reilly's line was matched up against that top line for Minnesota. That's the Blues' shutdown line. And frankly, remember, they were the shutdown line for the Blues in that Stanley Cup run, and the only difference is this line's got Brandon Saad and not Zach Sanford. I'd say that's a little bit of an upgrade for the Blues. So now it comes down to, and of course you got the two fourth lines, which that could be an advantage for the Blues, but it comes down to Braden Shen, Ivan Barbashev, Jordan Kyrou. Where do they match up against the Minnesota Wild? Well, right now, they would match up against the Kevin Fiala-Frederick Goudreau line for the Minnesota Wild. And I like that matchup for the Blues. I think if this Blues team can go on a deep run, obviously, they're going to need Robert Thomas' line to score goals. They're going to need Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Todd and David Perron to come through big, especially on the power play. Those guys, a majority of their goals since March 28th have come on the power play. But I think a key for this Blues team, if they want to go on a, a deep run is exploiting the mismatches for the opposition that think, oh, well, we have to put our best defensive line against their best offensive line, and our best offensive line is going to get shut down by Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad and David Perron. But nobody thought about the Braden, Shen, Jordan, Kairu Ivan Barbashev line, a line that, one of the players on it for the first half of the season was one of the best players in the National Hockey League. Another line since his return has been red hot nearly a point per game player. And Ivan Barbashev, we all know his contributions to this team over 20 goals on the season. I think that line could be an advantage for the Blues in a Minnesota Wild series because I think some teams
1: will underestimate what that line can do. There you're Chris Taylor what I mean by that is like when you look at the Dodgers lineup, the thing that sets them apart is you look to the bottom three, bottom four, six, seven, eight in their lineup. And those are the guys that can kill you. You know that you're going to have a tough time being able to navigate their one through five or so. The bottom of the order is what sets them apart over the last few years. That's what Brayden, Shin, Jordan, Kyrou, Ivan Barbashev can be. First of all, they play a playoff style, especially Shin and Barbie. Barbie Mm. was as physical last night as I've seen him at any point this season. Seven hits and he should have had 10 or 11. He was hitting everything that was moving. And it wasn't just those like, hey, I'm going to go down there, get in on the four check. We'll bump up against the boards and kind of move. He was it was bone crushing hits and he wasn't hitting just a hit. No, he was hitting for puck possession. And it it was super impressive. And that's the Ivan Barbashev they need. They need him to be that guy in the playoffs. And he's on a line right now where that's the exact role that he's got to be in. By the way, Braden Shin. I know we've talked a lot, a lot about Jordan Cairo and how he's take, taken a step back since the All-Star break, really. Braden since his return from injury, which took place on January 5th. That was his first game back after having about a month off. He has 47 points in 42 games. He's a plus 16 on the ice in this stretch, and he's averaging 18 minutes per game. He has 20 goals in his last 42 games. It's a pace of about 40 goals over an 82-game
4: season. And watch the way he—if you go back and watch that game against Boston, he— He outskated a couple of defenders to create an odd man rush for himself. Deceptively fast, you might say. Well, some
1: would say that. Pardon me, Jim. (laughs) It's been super impressive to watch. He's been one of their best players. Like, Alex, I remember we did the Ferrario 5 of the five best Blues players, and we gave you a lot of grief for not including Vladimir Tarasenko on that list. But if you go back and do that now, Braden Shin's probably on that list of the five best Blues players right now. Yeah, so that's why I think that I, I actually agree with your assessment is because we know what to expect out of O'Reilly's line. We know that Pavel Buchnevich, Robert Thomas, and Vladimir Teresenko, they have to be good for this team to go on a run. The thing that can set them apart, though, because you're going to need something that's the difference maker compared to the Avs or the Wilds or the Flames. Those teams are really good, and they've got top sixes that can go up against yours and might even you would take the other teams over yours. You could make the argument either way. This third line is what's going to change things for the Blues, or at least has the potential to and do And keep that.
4: an eye on the fourth line, too. And I'm not saying it's eh. going to be impactful. We've had this conversation before. BK thinks the fourth line is pointless, and I feel like it's going to have some type of impact, but you just don't know what you have right now. I mean, Nathan Walker, he's gotten third line minutes. Alexei Torovchenko has gotten third line minutes, and Tyler Bozak's a veteran who, yes, he's been out for some time, but... That's where they try and maybe try and flip the coin a little bit. Maybe you put the fourth line out there against another team if you feel like defensively they can do a good job. And the next thing you know, Shen, Barbashev, and Kyru are going up against Minnesota's fourth line. That's where the exploitations take place. And you're going to see some flip-flops around. A a line gets hot. Other teams are going to address accordingly. But that's why I think this Blues team is so dangerous because other teams might not have that luxury. Colorado, if you find a way to shut down Nathan McKinnon's line— It's going to be difficult to find offense elsewhere. They can, but it's going to be difficult. If you shut down the Robert Thomas, Vladimir Tarasenko, Pavel Buchnevich line, another line steps up. But when you go to that, well, now you got to figure out how to shut down a line again that scored 68 points in 13 games. It's just a revolving door for
1: this Blues team. And I think they get even more lethal if that fourth line can be effective. Blues are off tonight, back in action tomorrow. Blues versus the Sharks. You'll hear that right here on one hundred and one ESPN. It's a late one for our guy Alex Ferrario. Pre-game with him begins tomorrow at eight thirty. Puck drop for that one tomorrow night at nine thirty. No, we'll man, get
4: you. The, you said you were doing that one
1: for me. Yeah, BK and Ferrario rewind coming up next, and your chance to win a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Mets, all right here on one hundred and one ESPN. Pardon me, Jim. You chirping me that I'm slow your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash right. for Cardinals versus Mets. Who's going to be Tear. there? Will be there? I will not. Keith Hernandez will be there as oh, well. I like me it's, it's the like first to Budweiser Bash for. game of the 2022 season. T-Bone it features bobblehead. an exclusive Keith Hernandez limited edition bobblehead giveaway. Get all the details for this season's series of Budweiser Bash cards games now at cardinals.com slash promotions. Who would be a better bobblehead? You, me, or T-Bone? Well, mine's tiny, so I wouldn't go with me. It's yeah, but no, yours no, would no, be no. Pinocchio yeah. bobblehead. It's gonna catch the nose. You know, as it. Bobbles forward.
4: You know, forward. That, hey, you that, know those birds. Boy wanted to be an alpha male. You know those birds that go into a cup. That's what
1: you're. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest thing you've ever said. I hate it. Got I hate it. You. <laughs> Hey, if you want to win this four pack of tickets, 65780 is the place where you can text in right now. What was the number one movie on the rom com list that we talked about during the junk drawer today?
4: It'd be going into a jar of juice because <laughs> he's just boy.
1: Is there a beta fish close?
2: <laughs> it's at the bottom of the juice cup. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I hate this stupid show. It's the worst thing ever. I'm quitting.
4: Hey, that's not nice. Someone said mine look, would like, look like an elephant, man. Come on now, man. Don't make fun of
1: Alex time. has no teeth. I have a small head and a big nose. What's T-bone? Tanner now? looks like he's 12. <laughs> I oh, know, he's, a gar- he's a garden gnome. He's a garden gnome. I, ex- no, I haven't accepted T-Bone. <laughs> I haven't that. guys, guard guys, no we,
4: guys, we need to have a bobblehead like, series for our show at 101ESPN.com where we have a bobblehead of a yard gnome, T-Bone. Yours looks like I think a- his is
1: just you actually get him as a garden gnome.
4: <laughs> you pay him to come stand outside your house for a week. can right. do it. I wouldn't do How it. How much, don't. T-Bone? You wouldn't do my lawn in a banana
1: hammock for $40?
4: bucks. alright right, let's get into the I B-CAN rewind did
1: you guys see the lineup for today if you're gonna listen to the lineup game on the fast lane Uh turn your radio down not off but down for the next 30 seconds or so Jamie threatened me the last time I'm not doing anything with that uh Dylan Carlson not in the lineup tonight for the Cardinals, I think this is smart. I think they should have gotten him a day off. I think he looked. Yesterday was the first time where I was like, Ah, he doesn't look like himself right now. We went. I think zero for five in the game. None of the at bats were particularly impressive. He wasn't uh, smooth in his approach. It it just looked bad is yesterday. That the first time that somebody
4: has come in like like played in. Replacement of a, like a backup
1: playing for that. Sosa player. got one game. Newt Bar got one at DH. But, but it wasn't as a it. starter. Okay, so yeah. in the outfield, though, this is the first time we're seeing it. Yeah, that. it's the first time any of the outfielders have gotten a day off. You haven't seen an Arenado. Goldschmidt. Goldie. You've seen Yachty or, and you've seen DeYoung. And Edmonds started every game so far at uh-huh. second, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the first time that you've seen like a real starter get replaced for any uh, period of time. Edmonds leading off instead. I think that's the right choice today. You got Goldie, two. O'Neill, three. Arenado in his usual spot, batting cleanup. Dickerson is DH today. I think that's smart going up against Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, right in right field. He's going to be batting sixth today. Uh, DeYoung starting at short, batting seventh. Molina is eighth and behind the plate once again so back-to-back days for yadi and then bader is batting ninth for you in center field i think this is a good lineup this yep. is probably the right way to construct it today against a hard throwing right
4: now the question becomes if tommy Edman hits well in this position like he has been hitting well when dylan carlson comes back tomorrow does tommy stay in that leadoff spot and do you find a different spot for dylan carlson
5: I would almost think you'd go back to the normal lineup. Even I, if I think, Edmund hits there? Yeah, I, I just wonder if this was one of those where, okay, Carlson's struggling. Do we really want to send him out there against maybe one of the best pitchers in the National League while he's struggling? Let's give him a day off, see if he can just mentally reset. I would like we'll to throw see him Carlson right back bat, up bat there fifth against
1: righties. I would, too.
5: I, I, I mean, really would. I, that.
1: I like him batting leadoff. I have no issue with them continuing to put him up there, but against right-handed pitching, I would kind of like to see him bat fifth behind Aronado, and then you put dickerson newt maybe gorman eventually bat them sixth in the lineup as your designated hitter and you push everybody else down i think that's probably the way that i would go about it i don't know if they'll do that though because it's so early it it, is and that's
5: why i think they would stick with carlson i I just think this is a game where you say okay if we're gonna give anybody a day off let's give carlson a day off he's struggling he's he was over five last night i mean it's not like something magically
4: is gonna happen with him being out and then start hitting
5: in the leadoff spot and tommy Edmonds has been hitting I get it, but I, I think it's so early that you don't want to just... I think it might be a little bit more of a confidence shot. If you, it, it, may, it may hurt his confidence a little bit if you just take him out of the lineup for a game to get a day off, and then the next thing you know, he's batting fifth. Like, just I don't have that worry with lineup. him
1: because he's been moved around so much over the last year and a half, and he's been good basically anywhere that you put him. Um, but so far this year, he's batting 158 with a 420 o- o- OPS. He, uh, just, he hasn't been one of your... He's yeah. been one of your worst hitters so far, Carlson has, and at some point, that production is going to start mattering. For me, that is not now. I, I, I think that you probably wait... I think you wait till May 1st to make those kinds of significant changes. Wait until after that Arizona series. When you come back home, you've got a game against Kansas City. If he's still struggling at that point, batting leadoff, that's when I think I would make a move.
4: I just feel like, and I know it's a long season, but a 10-game stretch, if one player's struggling in one position, I would look at it and say, maybe we need to flip things around and just see if we can get him going in another spot. And if you have another guy who's performing well, who's performed well in that position, I'd move him up to maybe try and keep that confidence flowing.
5: And we and we can solve this with the double lineup or double leadoff too. Okay. You know? Well the double oh, leadoff is a today, real thing. Yeah, yeah. we could double lead off maybe, 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 maybe we hit Carlson ninth, double lead off him. You, you, that way he's kind of in the leadoff spot still. Yeah, it's triple leadoff today.
4: Triple. Yachty, Bader,
5: and Edmund. Yeah, he's not as fast as uh Albert. Have you,
4: have, I think he's faster. Yachty's stolen bases successfully, guys.
1: Miss missed anything from today's You're show, jerk. be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobs, Higher and Autos, and it's 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. I did the same thing again that I did yesterday, where I did an R to a W. Alex made a joke about that yesterday. It made me sad during his post-game show oh, because my teacher? it felt like he was giving a shot Kirby at me. didn't like the joke. I thought it was hilarious. I had a teacher We don't have to
2: give
1: school. it again. Well, God, Fast cool, and me. going to we we'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, that was
3: pretty fun. Pretty cool. <laughs> pretty fun. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's going to sleep like a baby tonight. Yeah. <laughs>